You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, welcome everybody. This is episode 47 of Cards and Cubes. We are your hosts. I'm Trevor. I'm Christo. And today we're going to be talking about tabletop awards. But first, how many games are out of print, Christo? uh too many i actually was kind of shopping around because i had a uh, order sitting at a certain game store and uh for quite a while actually trying to reach uh, the customer whole thing where you're trying to reach a certain amount so the order gets shipped <laughs> so i finally bought a game on sunday which is crisis by the way but completely unrelated so uh, i guess looking forward to playing it someday but it might actually be a while because it's Actually, it's not a complicated game, but for some reason, I think of it as kind of a commitment game or just a weird game. Might be, I don't know, might be kind of difficult to play with. Uh, needs to be the right group, maybe. But anyway, all that aside, um, I was just kind of looking around games in general and games that came out recently and just kind of new releases and just kind of getting up to speed to speed with things because honestly i actually hadn't looked for several months and i was kind of impressed with how many pretty recent games are like not available and not just the store where i was looking but anywhere <laughs> so i don't know yeah. what's uh, i don't know what's happening with people during the pandemic but uh, i guess everyone's kind of going crazy over board games or maybe it's a combination of reduced supply from uh shutdowns of like factories or something um overseas so i don't know but yeah things like i don't know house teutonica even things like i think terra mystica was uh, out of print most places just kind of like really I, games that I would not expect to be out of print were just kind of sold out everywhere. And uh, people are also trying to like scalp prices off of them on uh, eBay and stuff like that. And it's just kind of crazy. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's uh, I, it's kind of funny. In the past year, we've seen this happen with a lot of different commodities. Um, you know, there was toilet paper gate back at the uh, the start of covid where it's just like impossible to find it and that, then there that's was the origin uh, i guess maybe. yes exactly <laughs> and then actually interesting side note this is not board game related but you know it was really difficult to find hand sanitizer uh, yeah. for a really long time and now i think there are several brands or stores that are actually kind of paying you to take it yep. because now they've all caught up and have too much so maybe the board game industry is kind of just following that wave and then Nat you know in a couple months we'll have we'll have people offering to pay us to take games. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, or that'd be or a lot of games might go on clearance or something which would yeah. be kind of actually enjoyable for me cuz I enjoy those kind of sales <laughs> and uh yeah. buying over buying games and over committing to games that will never get played. So lots of fun. But yeah, I was just kind of like, what the heck is happening? Uh, it's just kind of crazy. I don't know. Maybe people are just uh, locked at home and there's nothing better to do. So you just like shop online for random stuff and start collecting <laughs> things. Yeah. No, it's, just it's, hoarding it's, it's really stuff. interesting. Um, I, so I actually, um, uh, from time to time, I, I like maintain an Amazon wish list with games on it. And I'll just watch and uh, I'll log on and look at the list and i'll see prices fluctuate and then sometimes just disappear because it's out of stock and then months later it'll come back and the game will be available again and, and i check on other websites and like you said you just find games you wouldn't think that would be un would be unavailable that are just 
like impossible to find unless you're willing to play this pay the scalpers it's kind yep. of an interesting thing i think there's just like a the the last year with covid has thrown everything into whack and i know there's like container shortages and ships getting stuck in <laughs> oh, egypt that's true and, as well yep and all that type of stuff so i think that um and and some companies actually provide shipping updates of where all their prints are like capstone games is pretty good about telling people where stuff is and i know they had some delayed containers with like a reprint i think of new york zoo and yep. um and watergate or something like that so yeah it's just kind of a weird thing to see the cycle and if you happen to be looking for a game between print runs you kind of just have to fight the urge to pay scalpers <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of weird to me because I didn't, I hadn't really previously noticed it. The only time I've noticed it actually was during the Gloomhaven release. That was just ridiculously out everywhere. But then it caught up like several months later because uh, it was just a ridiculously popular popular game. I think other than that, I think mostly unless it's like some kind of huge award is awarded. So kind of spoilers. We're talking about that today. Uh, yeah, games generally kind of are pretty available especially if they're new but guess not right now possibly it's also interesting when it happens that uh, uh the first print of a game is, is uh or the first print run is more popular than maybe the publisher anticipated yeah yeah like i know that happened with um dune imperium and probably lost ruins of arnak where the first print runs just evaporated and then for a couple of months you couldn't find the games at all but now they're kind of getting back into stock yeah no that's a good point actually because i think from a publisher perspective you definitely don't want to overproduce the game and then have it go on clearance like three months later or something because there's just bunch of boxes sitting around so you probably like if you make a, an error it should be on the under produce side so that probably yeah. is part of it as well as a and as a consumer you just hope that uh <laughs> the print run you missed out on wasn't the final one <laughs> yeah because <laughs> then you're then you're surfing ebay yeah, we're just kind of moving on. I don't know. Lately, I'm more and more accepting of just some not having something, even though it's painful sometimes. You finally overcome the FOMO. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, it's difficult sometimes. Not not always. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> there are exceptions. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The the trigger triggering moment for me is if i see like stock two or stock one somewhere it's like hmm okay yeah. i always wonder about that like how accurate it is <laughs> yeah maybe it's actually a scam i also think about that like is this actually accurate or do they just know me and like <laughs> yeah because i've seen it happen and i've done this i've fallen prey to this on amazon where it says one left order soon so i was like oh yeah. shoot i better order it so i do and then i check the next week 20 in stock <laughs> so yeah. it's like did they just happen to get a restock or oh, uh, amazon's a little weird because yeah, it does have different vendors but um, I, other I, other sites as well have that. i also think amazon is maybe more evil towards that i can definitely believe them doing it i kind of think the smaller stores are generally better as far as that goes i think like uh, miniature market for example i think it really shows accurate stock because i've actually bought the last copy of something before and i've seen it <laughs> disappear which yeah. is always kind of like enjoyable it's like <laughs> but anyway yeah. yeah well something too with those stores is uh, <laughs> uh something too with those stores um that is interesting to think about that amazon doesn't necessarily care if you order and then have to wait a while 
but these other stores probably don't want to oversell and make a lot of people upset yep true so yeah but anyway that's uh the wonders of board gaming uh, supply and demand nowadays yeah we'll uh do some investigation and and get back (laughs) yep (laughs) all right let's move on to games played Um, so over the last couple of weeks, actually, we've been on this trend of playing a lot of trading games. Uh, actually, not a lot of trading games, but two trading games in particular, which are kind of very similar in my opinion. And uh, those games are Chinatown and Genoa. You uh, used to be known as the Traders of Genoa, but it was re- uh, the original edition of Genoa was actually 2001, which I was like, holy crap, this game is old, which you can kind of tell by reading the rules because they're a little bit weird. Uh, but the reprint was actually in 2009, so it's pretty out of print, I think, but you can probably find it because it's a very peculiar game and I don't think a lot of people maybe like it so much. So you can, I don't know, actually, I'm not sure if you can find the copy, uh, but it's very similar to Chinatown. I don't know how old Chinatown is but it's probably there about like i'm guessing like 2010 that's what it feels like anyway maybe a little bit later um they're very similar in the way that they are because they're open trading games they're um, games where you can trade generally almost everything in the case of chinatown the only thing you can't trade is uh well so what are the themes i guess really quick uh chinatown is um what it sounds like you're building up Chinatown which is a neighborhood and the spaces on the board there are spaces on the board and everyone kind of gets a bunch of real estate which is on the board and a bunch of shops which are tiles so the tiles go where you have real estate so thematically you're building the shops and uh, there's a mechanic where the larger the shop is the kind of like a little bit of exponentially it starts going up the profits that it makes at the end of every round so the game is actually pretty simple it's uh, basically get some real estate out of a deck and then get some tiles out of a bag and um open trading and generate that's income. how real trade works yeah uh, and that's basically the game uh so the winner is the person with the most money so you're basically trying to kind of make larger shops uh by just trading for them as early as possible and creating like these blobs of they need to be adjacent which makes it interesting so that makes the real estate valuable uh depending on where it's located so very thematic and then you just generate income do it again generate income do it again i think like five or six rounds or seven or something and the game is over uh genoa is a little bit more weird idea um there's a stack of discs and uh there's a it's called the tower i don't know what it represents i guess like you or the the person whose turn it is like walking around and you're walking around genoa and it's kind of like a square really uh you're walking around really a square there's a market in the middle there's some buildings there's some streets around it very simplified but it's basically like looks like a square or something if you imagine like an italian square kind of really large actually um and the active player actually can move the discs 
the tower of the discs wherever they want the tower takes kind of like five steps including the initial step can be like traded and people can trade specifically with them so it's a little bit weirder because chinatown you can trade with anyone anytime genoa kind of puts the spotlight on a particular person and people can trade with them because they have interests in the tower visiting particular places there's a mechanic where the active player can only take one action out of the five possible tower actions so basically the other players kind of try to buy actions from the active player uh, the actions are different but they have to do with basically similar mechanics of kind of like set collection you can deliver messages from building to building if the tower visits the two buildings in the same turn uh, you can obviously collect resources from places and deliver orders you can do these set collection cards around the board um, and do a bunch of special tokens you there's also ownership of buildings which is kind of like a control mini game um, not much basically you just place markers and you get paid if other people use the building or uh, people can kick your marker off by paying a marker of their own and then replacing it there's mechanics of that so it's pretty pretty relatively simple game uh the rules are really weird because uh, and it kind of shows its age i think in that sense because the like there's some really weird rules where like if the tower lands somewhere the active player cannot refuse an offer so someone can like totally lowball the action and the active player has to accept or do it which means they can't do another action on their turn so there's a lot of like weird stuff like that also the way you place discs for ownership is really weird it's like the tower has to visit the street and it goes around the table anyway the kind of kind of a little bit weirder but they have kind of the general uh, same general idea um I don't know. I actually kind of enjoy both games about the same. I do think the system in general is cool. Uh, some people really kind of dislike Genoa and of the people that we played with, that they were kind of like talking about it being kind of meh compared to Chinatown. Because Chinatown does feel kind of everyone's involved at all times. Genoa does tend to maybe drag a little bit, if you're, especially if you're trying to like get the best price for each movement of the tower and then the game just starts really dragging and being really long and repetitive so i think uh both both games definitely need the right group of people that are kind of like uh generally more like kind of upbeat uh, fast and loose kind of uh trading uh to me chinatown is the weakness of chinatown that i don't like is a little it's a little bit obvious like if you're giving someone something it's really clear to what they're getting out of it which to me kind of degrades the game a little bit uh because basically you can you know what they're getting by looking at the board and you know what the value of the thing that you're giving them is so it kind of sometimes turns into an unfortunate game of i'll give you this which is worth more to you because i really need something for me and those kind of exchanges also the last couple of rounds can feel kind of king makey because does that ever Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah. I was yes. just, I was on that point. This, you're highlighting something that is usually, I mean, I don't play a ton of uh, trading negotiation style games for this very reason. Um, but I, I'm curious, maybe this is something that you're highlighting that I just kind of don't enjoy as much as if it's, if it's super obvious what you're giving to someone, then there's either the incentive to not trade with you or to just basically gouge you. Does that happen in this game? 
Uh, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, you kind of need something yourself. So, like, if you don't trade, I think that's actually a losing thing in these kind of games. Yeah. Uh, that's why I think uh, you have to kind of play with the right group, because my atti attitude towards these trading games is, like, I really don't like playing these games with people that are, like give me two things for this one thing like uh when it's the same thing like a good or something like i i i think these games work fine if you trade the same value things like good for good you know uh or at least the, the well-designed games work uh well that way which by the way sidereal confluence is a game which i enjoy for that reason i think that game works fine if you don't try to like basically extort people which is what you're saying um, I kind of don't enjoy playing these games kind of with people who are like, give me more stuff for my thing, uh, if that makes sense. Because I think everyone around the table basically needs something. And if you work out the trades with equal value, you should be able to kind of benefit, you know. And it's better right. off to trade than to not trade, which yeah, is kind of the game. You shouldn't take the position that, uh, you want something from me, therefore what I have is more valuable than yeah, your thing. Yeah, because we both kind of want something, and I think an equal exchange uh, benefits us both. The thing is, uh, in Chinatown, there's also luck withdrawing. I mean, in general, there there's luck, but in Chinatown, like the real estate you get dealt, um, you get a choice a little bit. It's like uh, draw six cards, choose four of them. But the locations of real estate, especially the tiles you draw, can really kind of set people up, and it's very unfortunate that way, which is another thing I dislike. But overall, actually, I pretty I had I had fun with Chinatown. Uh, previously, I maybe played with the the worst group or something, but I I still enjoyed it. I I kind of like the game. Uh, Genoa is a little bit less obvious, but it does. The downside of Genoa is, in my opinion, that uh, the focus on everything is everyone is trading with one person on their turn uh feels a little bit weird um so there's kind of a spotlight on one person around the table and it just kind of keeps going around um and yeah it just kind of feels like an older game with the weird rules but they're very kind of similar games i i enjoy them um both um, I don't know which one i would pick like i say uh i think they both work fine with the right games i think if um Honestly, kind of Chinatown feels more modern, but I still like Genoa just because of uh, maybe it's also my preference for kind of older feeling games, which I really don't mind and I kind of actually enjoy sometimes. Um, yep, that's yeah, about maybe, it. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking along these negotiation style games. Um, I'm just thinking back to the conversation we had last week about uh, like games that overlap with career. And so negotiating is what i do in my job quite frequently do, do you ask people to pay like 200 dollars <laughs> no. for something that's worth 100 <laughs> exactly that's exactly what i do and if they Just don't kidding. if they don't give it to me then i stop negotiating with them uh <laughs> no but um it's exactly what you're saying you kind of have to understand how it goes so like there uh, oftentimes the way negotiations will go uh, that are intriguing to me and it it you know why why I enjoy my job is is that you you're either negotiating with someone who doesn't understand what they're giving you in which case like you're getting a good deal or you're dealing with a sophisticated party on the other side that understands what what it means for what you're asking and what it means to give what you're giving and and that's how the the better deals and more more enjoyable transactions happen in my opinion so if i were to play a game where the dynamic was like that i think i'd like it more it's just i've had experiences where it's just basically well i'm asking two for your one because you want this 
<laughs> yeah, no, I think that's just kind of bad, bad group dynamics. Um, I don't know. Um, to be honest, like my ultimate favorite trading game so far is Sidero Confluence that I've played. I haven't played. There's like really epic. Someone wanted to play Advanced Civilization or something, basically like an all-day trading game, or like a Civ game with a strong trading component or something. I don't know what it is exactly. I mean, I kind of briefly looked at it, but uh, there's like ridiculously epic trading games, which I th which I think. Uh, Sidero Confluence wants to kind of approach that experience, but still condense it to like kind of two hours and not a full day or something of trading, which is, I think, a little bit too much for <laughs> my, my taste yeah. in, in board <laughs> games. Uh, but Chinatown in general are like kind of generally light. Um, I think with Genoa, if you sit down to play it, definitely focus on taking fast turns because the game can really drag. Um, and just kind of, especially the first game, I think you kind of don't know how it's gonna go because the value of things is again less obvious and weird and um i don't know it's i like them both for different reasons maybe chinatown's probably more modern feeling overall yeah maybe i just need to give some trading negotiation games another shot with a different group dynamic because i've yeah. just been kind of jaded on them just with past experiences yeah i don't know um, I'd play Sidero Confluence over either of them, but it is longer and takes a lot of table space. And actually, the other thing with Sidero is Chinatown in general, you're doing kind of everyone's doing the same thing. Sidero is also asymmetric, so you have to, people have to understand kind of what they're doing with their race, which adds another layer of difficulty. But it's definitely the more rewarding game, I think. Sidero Confluence, I mean. Yeah, I played that one time and it was awesome. It was, yes. <laughs> insert insert awesome wait wait let me let me try that again it was <laughs> this is where you no this comment. is where you this is where you say awesome <laughs> yeah yeah awesome sure yeah um anyway but uh chinatown is actually a 1999 game <gasps> and genoa is 2001 what? it kind of doesn't feel like 1999 actually that i'm kind of impressed because it feels pretty modern to me at least, I don't know, from my perspective. That's that's weird. That's crazy. Well, maybe the 2010 version you're thinking of is apparently there's an Animal Crossing version of it. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> fine. I'm good on that. Is that the version you all played? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, actually, the theme does kind of come across in, in both, really. The, it's, it's pretty thematic because it makes sense. It yep. kind of makes makes less sense in general because if you think about it, like, what are you like a multiple personality disorder person? We're like a a group of people that are like have to walk together. Like, I imagine yep. like the five players <laughs> that are like uh, shackled together or something. They're like pulling in different directions and like we gotta go there, man. You gotta go there, <laughs> but you have to well, go. A... You have to go together. <laughs> you can't go separate ways. You have to go together. <laughs> so but not like only really that, weird. there are circus performers standing on each other's shoulders <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess yeah the theme of genoa is pretty weird because yeah you're the the same thing <laughs> which is the tower or something uh yeah. but okay i guess i i kind of enjoy it anyway yeah yeah oh cool uh well one game i played recently uh that i think you want to play but have not yet is called eschaton uh this is uh designed by Diha Petras Vasnelis Adam Watts. This is Archon Games publisher. 
basically, this is kind of a deck builder with uh, area control element to it. We kind of it reminded me in many ways of um, Tyrants, and, Tyrants of the Underdark, which was interesting. Uh, but basically, the game thematically is the end of the world, so you're trying to get your deck full of cultists and acolytes and demons and relics and all sorts of dark, dirty things uh, before the world ends, and you just try to collect the most points. Um kind of an interesting deck builder because there's a large static market um which is just you know stacks of face-up cards of of the same type in each stack so you just buy those until they're gone um and then there's another deck that i don't know thematically what it's called but uh the symbol to draw it was books. So I just kept saying bookie the whole game. Uh, (laughs) Something like fate or something. I can't remember. There's a bunch of terminology in the game, not surprisingly, called Eskaton. I mean, that's what you'd expect, I guess. So, yeah, so there's another deck where you'll get random cards and draw those and then add them to your deck. Um, I actually thought that the the way each turn worked was pretty cool. So on, on every card in the game that is not like a relic or or something like that. So basically your cultists and and fiend or monster cards, uh, you play the game, you play each turn in four steps where the first, uh, it's basically just four icons stacked on top of each other on every card. And the first icon is, is a chain, which is just, you draw more cards. Um, And so you, <laughs> I built a ridiculous engine in my deck where fairly frequently I was drawing half to all of my deck for every turn, um, which some other players at the table didn't appreciate. Um, and then the next step, I think, is uh, you you draw the number of cards from that random deck equal to the the number that's shown in the symbols across all of your cards, the book symbol or fate symbol or whatever it's called. And then you get to keep one of them unless you have other cards showing in your turn that say keep an additional one. And so I also got cards that did that. So I was drawing a lot of cards and then also keeping several cards, which just allowed me to kind of pick a lot of stuff. And then... Uh, I think the next symbol is the buy power. So you then buy stuff from the market, or I think you can use money to do, uh, you can like buy, you can pay to start a plague somewhere, which basically just destroys cubes on the map every turn. <laughs> so you just like troll people, uh, or you can curse someone which makes them have uh, less buy power every turn or you can undo a curse on yourself or you can undo somebody i think it's called an aura card which is basically a card from your deck that you play in front of you that has an active ability until someone disables it so these op and crazy abilities that you're adding to yourself can be disabled by other players and they do get disabled if you have crazy cards um 
I think several of us had some pretty crazy cards. So it seems like maybe just all the cards are crazy um, and you don't want other players to have them active. And then, and then you wrap up the uh, your turn by using uh, combat points. And combat points, I think in order, you have to use combat points to add cubes to an area on the board where you already have cubes then you can move and then you can fight using those combat points um and towards the end of the game i think i was getting like 12 or 13 combat points a turn so it was just ridiculous um but the so basically the the way the board works is there's it's just area majorities whoever has the most cubes in an area will get the benefit of that region and the regions are range from points to uh, permanent abilities so if you control a certain region it might allow you to draw an additional card every turn or it might give you an additional buy power or an additional combat point or or what have you um and then at the end of the game i think the way the game ends is there's this stack of event cards which have uh omens in them there i think there's three omens and then armageddon and once armageddon comes out the world blows up and it's over and you just count your points um so i i found the game the the process of playing it was fun, but I, I would describe the game as unhinged. Like it was just so wild what could happen every turn that it's you just kind of had to approach it with sort of a lighthearted attitude, which is kind of funny given the theme, because you can just get slapped around and it's really funny to be the one slapping, but then it can just come <laughs> around and <laughs> slap you <laughs> when it comes around. So I don't know, like uh, I, I had fun playing it, it could also be that I just like happened into a deck that was just a monstrosity and was slapping everything around the table. Um, but it, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's balanced, but it was, it was interesting and, and funny <laughs> at least. I don't know if you, I know you know a lot about the game. Maybe you looked at it before. Do you have any thoughts or, or Yeah, we were actually about to play it back in the day, and I think I read all the rules. Unfortunately, I don't remember most of the rules because uh, I just looked up actually while you're talking what the deck is called. Uh, the ability to dig into the deck is called Divination, I think, and the deck is the Arcana deck or Arcana or whatever. Uh, so there's a lot of terminology in the game, um, if you know what I mean. Yes, it's <laughs> so, all nothing. Nothing is like this is a card. This yeah, is a cube. Everything yeah. has a different name. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, the, the end of the game is the Eschaton, which is the name of the game, which is kind of like the end of the world or something. Uh, and like omens and whatever happened i think those are the crazy abilities but uh yeah i've, I've always been kind of curious about the game because i think the way the person actually came across the game was uh, there was a local convention here and i think the people are actually from colorado who are were selling the game and i think a bunch of people bought the game and at that point i think it was really unknown so i was just like curious what the heck is this game and how how did they convince everyone to buy it also was very i was very curious about that um i looked up the game at the time and actually it's kind of funny it has a, this like super weird cinematic trailer which like who does that for a board game but they did <laughs> and i think it's shot in colorado if um but i, I think it, i like, it looks looked it up. like it yeah like in the mountains there's a bunch of like cosplay and actually it's really cool um there's a bunch of like music and swords and like uh whatever like torches and it's very like uh 
dark and whatever brooding you should have uh, to dress up to play this game yeah it's it's actually really cool and they have like a gameplay overview which is uh gives you a pretty good idea of what the game is narrated by someone who's called the bard um i don't know anyway there's a bunch of just like really a lot of weirdness about the game and i was just curious just because of the combination of all those things but i was kind of curious how the game itself plays and it does sound like what i was thinking um except i didn't expect the craziness to be there i thought it was going to be kind of an obvious uh game because i mean what do you do you build a deck which like puts cubes on the board and you fight them against each other so i thought it was going to be very kind of straightforward but it sounds like it's much crazier um than i think i'm kind of when you're talking about it it kind of reminds me of like eric lang games or something like blood rage where crazy things can happen and weird things can happen to you maybe even crazier than blood rage um yeah, yeah. i mean it it so there are crazy things that can happen depending on if you get the right auras and cards. Like I had an aura that allowed me to draw four cards and I'd have to take off three cubes from the ta- from the board uh, every turn when I had that out. But it didn't matter because I was drawing four cards. Because the cards would just put them back. Yeah, I exactly. Guess. I was drawing four cards and then the rest of my hand might draw another five or six cards. So I'm basically yeah. drawing my whole deck the whole time and just like spamming the cubes back um that being said it is obvious what you're gonna go for right because the points the value of the points are printed on the board so the the more valuable spots are going to be pretty desirable towards the end of the game early game you're going to want to get the engine building spots so that you can get those early game boosts i was was actually kind of wondering do you move just one space with the cubes can you put them anywhere and do you move one space because i'm always curious about that in area control games so uh, how far can you move with like can you do something really surprising or is it kind of like corner camping on the map or something like how does that so work? it it's not usually too surprising the generally the way you'll do it is you'll use those combat points and it costs a combat point to put one cube on an area where you already have a cube so you can't usually just plop a cube down anywhere on the board unless a card lets you do that i don't recall if there's a card that lets you do that i know there's a card that let that puts three cubes in maybe your like your least populous region um so there are cards that will spam cubes out um but normally you've got to pay to move the cubes um uh so it's you're 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 not really going to surprise anybody. Okay. No, I mean, that's good, but it's kind of it sounds like the surprise is actually coming from these, like, common cards or whatever, or aura cards, sorry, aura yes. cards or whatever they're called, which is the yep. unhinged part of the game, maybe. Yeah. So somebody will yeah. bring that out, and then another player has, it's their moral obligation to spend some of their buy power to deactivate your aura. <laughs> so it's kind of sometimes it's like well who's gonna pay to do that (laughs) yeah but uh i don't know that we ever had a a, had a time where you had a round of people just kind of saying well it's the next player's turn to deal with that problem i think at least from what i noticed it was more just somebody on their turn decided that's a bad idea for you to have that card therefore it's gone so yeah yeah anyway sounds interesting i'll give it a try someday i guess it didn't happen that particular day but 
Um, I'm a little bit concerned that I'm not going to like it that much just because of the craziness and kind of not a huge fan of the set market type games unless it's like some kind of a clever mechanic around it like for example Quest for Eldorado was cool because there's a set market of cards but you introduce them kind of pull them in one by one so that's kind of cool so it's actually not really a set market it's decided by players the order of yeah. in which you can buy cards yeah there's nothing really like that it's more just there's a lot of them I think there's probably 12 to 15 cards available in the set market. Yeah. And then you just have to build your engine to get up to the more expensive ones because usually in a in a game with a set market, you have the really cheap, dumb stuff and then maybe a really high scoring point card. Yeah, but it, other... it's not like that in this one. It was just there's a lot of cards that do different things. So it kind of helps you um, guide your deck the way you yeah. want it to work. Maybe uh, what I'm concerned with set market games is like uh, someone's gonna like sit there and analyze some kind of cheese and try to like pull it and it turns into kind of like a chess game rather than kind of a fun deck building game <laughs> uh, because <laughs> yeah. of like some kind of OP combo that someone pulls and it's like min-maxing kind of stuff that I kind of don't enjoy in these kind of games but it sounds kind of interesting yeah I'll maybe give it a try someday we'll see if the opportunity yeah, it's it's arises. worth a try yep it, it's worth a try it's 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 decent but not not amazing but uh yeah that's that's eschaton cool well i actually went on board game arena again this week i don't know what uh -oh. prompted me to go back to board how game many arena. times did you play hanabi uh actually hanabi not that much i actually played the crew for five hours straight we went from mission one to mission 50 or 40 50 50 i think it's 50 the, the full game basically which was absolutely insane <laughs> with some people uh but actually i kind of wanted to play how did you play... get them to stick around that long uh no it was crazy actually we just kind of like i guess i found the right people it's just really crazy uh sometimes uh, good people show up and they want to just keep playing once you get a gr good group and i think we had a really good group and it was kind of fun and that sometimes happens on board game arena um but yeah it was, it's pretty it's pretty interesting uh super long game but that's not what i'm talking about i've talked about the crew plenty and i really like it but i wanted to explore some new games on board game arena actually and uh this is a success for the people who I guess kind of advertise their games on there because I discovered some games that are pretty new that I am now interested in getting. <laughs> so, so that's the success. Um, I'm not gonna go into a lot of details about all of them, but I'll just kind of mention names of games that I found that were really cool. Um, the first game is Oriflam. Um, I think that's some Latin term for the kingdom of something in France or whatever. The standards of the standards, some kind of banner. A of scarlet knights banner or, or knight standard. A scarlet banner or knight standard. I'm just looking up the definition. Um, anyway, I think it has to do with France in the Middle Ages. Yeah, there's a Wikipedia article about it. Uh, so the thematic thing of the game is you are playing these cards and they fight each other, but the way they fight each other is uh, kind of similar to actually uh libertalia um or if you haven't played libertalia basically the cards get played in a line 
Uh, in Libertalia, actually, they get ordered according to priority. In this game, they do not get ordered by priority. Wherever they're played, they're played at that point. So people play one card to the line, and then the line is resolved left to right. And the cards do crazy things. Like one card actually kind of like uh, shoots to the outside of the line. So you have to, uh, it's an archer, so it shoots to the outside. Another card's the he the heir. Uh, so the heir to the king or whatever, like H-E-I-R. So if there's no other heir, the, it scores two points. Otherwise, it scores nothing when it's revealed. And actually, the decision is, do you reveal the card and do the ability, or do you keep it face down and put like a victory point on it? And then in the future, when you reveal it, you get the victory points on top of it. So you can kind of like maybe set traps. Even there's a card which is a trap, which is kind of like an ambush card, which kills the card that attacked it, um, plus scores the owner four points so there's this kind of like bluffing game of uh which card is gonna do what and who's setting up to do what and how are people gonna score and the card abilities actually are really cool uh so if i were to describe the game it's kind of like if you've played these games if not it's not gonna mean anything to you but it's like kind of feels like cool citadels love letter and Libertalia kind of vibes um, in a very short game, uh, kind of 10 minutes really, 10, 15 minutes is what it takes to play just six rounds of everyone playing one card and then going through the cards and activating them. And it's really cool. Um, it's kind of a take that game, if you couldn't tell, with like people like uh, shooting each other and killing each other. And it's all about like intrigue and like doing weird things and weird pulling weird combos and stuff but i really like it actually i was kind of impressed the first uh, couple of games i wasn't sure about it but the more i played the more you can kind of see uh just kind of maybe strategy or just kind of maybe like things that work and you can kind of tell what people are doing or there's this double think of like you know i you think that uh you know what i'm doing so i should do something else and set up like the ambush there so that you don't know what i'm really doing you know the, like the basic bluffing game kind of a deal but overall it's a really cool game really cool package there's actually an expansion which i'm really excited about um i already like the base game which is just 10 cards like you only need to learn what 10 cards do and it takes like literally two games to basically memorize all of them and then like you can start thinking about strategy as well uh the expansion adds another 10 cards and uh there it's really cool i really like it actually so i think that's um probably going to be on my to get list soon um yeah, this uh this looks cool so i support your decision to buy it yeah yeah and it's also really quick uh another game which i played uh was really silly and dumb but cue birds um i think it that they were going for like cube birds because the art of the game is uh looks like kind of very iffy um like i mean a lot of card games are like that you, you can't really tell what the card game what the game is going to be and it looks kind of weird so some people really don't like it i actually think it's really cool it's like 8-bit style cubic birds made of cubes or something like really cute cartoony birds i guess it is has what's a on look the cards. that um reminds me of that game crossy road yeah yeah there's a bunch of uh like minecraft style hearts basically things made with cubes that that kind of art there's a i don't know i call it 8-bit but it probably has a more specific name like cute uh 
cubism or something. Cubart. <laughs> but anyway, Cubarts, whatever. Uh, the game is uh, really. Uh, people say that it reminds them of uh, something like, gosh, what's it called? Rummy. Rummy. Uh, but I haven't played Rummy and I've actually never really looked at it, even though it's a very popular thing. Uh, but I played with someone who has played Rummy and they said it, it's not like Rummy, so maybe it's not actually like Rummy. Uh, but what you do is you get dealt a bunch of, bunch of birds in your hands. The whole deck is just a bunch of birds and there's a bunch of rows in the middle. You play a bird and you take the cards in between the two birds which match. So basically you play a bird to a row, thereby making the row like larger and you have to play all of that bird. So you might set like the next player up if you play like three birds of a kind or something because you have to play all of them. But then you pick up something in between what you played and the matching birds. So like the birds in between basically. And the whole point is to make sets. So you're trying to make sets. Um, there's you make a flock a, lar a small or a, or a large flock and uh if you make a flock you can play one in front of you and out of the flock one bird stays or two birds stay depending on if the flock is small or large and as you can well i don't know if you can tell but uh the small flocks have different sizes depending on birds for example like the robins or whatever they're called they're very plentiful in the deck but it takes six of them to make a flock uh the flamingo is actually the rarest bird it only takes two of them to make a small flock but there's only like seven cards in the deck so basically it's kind of like a, a little bit of push your luck a little bit of set collection trying to make sets of birds and put them in front of you there's no really score the game just ends as soon as someone has seven different birds in front of them meaning like they've scored seven different flocks of any size different though or three birds of two kinds of three birds each any two birds meaning they scored large flocks so you either go like uh, the strategy is either you go like horizontal where you're scoring a lot of small flocks or you try to really push a specific bird which is kind of more push your luck i think actually both are really kind of push your luck the whole game is very luck luck ridden but i really like it actually even though there's a lot of luck and usually the game ends with some kind of bs like top decking there's a mechanic where you refresh your hand and stuff um which can really kind of score you things at the same time and then the game game uh but nevertheless the game is actually really cool and i was uh when i was reading rules i was like wow this is gonna be dumb and i'm not gonna like it but actually it's really awesome i don't know i just really enjoyed the process of playing it um there's a really cool sound effect that's uh, is played on board game arena when you make a set of birds it's like they're f flying away like fluttering of wings can and, you make that sound uh no <laughs> but it's really cool <laughs> come on Risa, trust, give the people what they want trust me it's really cool uh just go on board game <laughs> arena and like play one game it takes like 10 minutes or something um and you'll probably pick up the rules from just me explaining yeah, it but I'm, I'm playing it right now really uh but no. anyway yeah that sound effect always kind of well when when i played the the game in real life it like was like playing in my head so like it's a the it's a it's a weird thing but uh maybe that adds to the experience or something of why i like the game because it's like really re relaxing and just like or something anyway yeah. uh, you did it <laughs> whatever uh it's it's cool though i i like the game uh, it's very light it's very luck prone uh it it usually ends on some kind of bs thing but the process of trying to make sets and kind of like the decisions of what do i dump to maybe set someone else up so that i can pick up birds are really cool there's some other couple of clever mechanics um overall just like 
two thumbs up Qbirds, I like it a lot and actually I will talk about the other couple of games maybe after you because I've been talking for a while <laughs> yeah that, that actually sounds cool and I'm, I'm always looking for games that I can pull out with uh, you know my wife and my my parents and family and, and my wife's family and this sounds exactly like something that would work really really well because they actually we, you said rummy. Um, sometimes when we're at my uh, in-laws' house, when we go to play games, they'll just some of them will go away and play rummy because <laughs> they uh, they don't like newer board games. So this one actually sounds like it might be a good fit. Uh, but the next game I wanted to talk about is Between Two Cities. This is designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett, published by Stonemeyer Games. And uh, specifically, we played it with the uh, first and Capital only, expansions. I believe. Yes, Capital the Capitals expansions. Yeah, I think this is the only expansion. I wonder if they have more in, in Capitals Planet. expansion. Yeah, sorry. Yes. <laughs> I got confused yeah. with the plural. <laughs> yes, Capitals, I think, is what it um it was what it says on bgg um but anyway so this is a really interesting game actually it may have become one of my more preferred stonemeyer games even after just one play of it um it the basically uh, i think you can play with up to seven people yeah seven people yep that's the maximum and and the the cool thing about it is that um you're building two cities and you're sharing one, each one of those cities, you're sharing it with one of your neighbors. So basically on your turn, you're going to draw two tiles from a stack. And then one of those tiles must go into the city to your right. And one of those tiles must go into the city to your left. And then based on what type of buildings you're putting into the cities, there's different scoring. So I think there's probably five or six different types of buildings. Um, some of them score uh, well if they're in clumps together. Some of them score worse if they're stuck next to different types of buildings it, it's all thematic so like a house next to a factory is worth worth less than a house that's not next to a factory um and the the capitals expansion added a really i think interesting twist to the game i, I haven't played the core game but i can see how it would play without it um which is that it, it gives you um first it gives you a terrain mat to place as you're starting um basically the terrain of where your city is being built so not only are you building a city but you're also now building it around some terrain so there's some unbuildable spaces there's some bridges that connect over a gap um and so it it throws a little bit of a wrench into the gear so you're not just building a grid a four by four grid of of tiles but now you're building a five by five grid but some of that five by five grid is taken up by just terrain um, and then the other component that the expansion added and i think this is oh there's two more actually so the um another thing the expansion added was a building type so it might like add hospitals or a government building or something and basically those buildings want to be next to two types of buildings and not next to a third type um, so if they're next to one of their preferred buildings they're worth three points if they're if they're next to both of their preferred buildings and they're next then they're worth six and if they're were next to the uh their uh, their least favorite building either they score nothing or it's just one something like that uh it's one that just basically ruins them like houses basically yep yeah um and then so that was cool uh just another adjacency 
uh, mini game to play in the game. And then it also added this concept of districts. So um, there's three district scorings. And basically what a district is, is it's two types of buildings. And then at the end of the game, you just see who has the largest clump of orthogonally adjacent um, buildings of those two types. Um, it, it, and then whoever scores, whoever has the largest clump scores uh, the most points for that district. And then there's a second place for that district as well. Um, anyway, it's super light game actually, but I thought it was just fun to play. I, I liked the, the um, semi negotiation slash discussion part with, with both of your neighbors. You're, you're trying to convince the other person to place good stuff in your city so that your cities both score well. And the way that that is kind of fleshed out into scoring is that at the end of the game, you're lower of the two cities scores. And so you're incentivized to make both cities work as well as you can. Um, and uh, I just thought it was fun to play a really light game, but cool. I thought it had interesting decisions as well. How, how do you, how do you like this game? Yeah, I really kind of like it because actually sneakily, it's one of those few games, which is actually a team game really, because you're playing like on a team. The cool thing is you're playing on two teams at the same time, I guess, because you need both left and right team to be working. <laughs> which which is weird but i like i say i think uh team games are kind of less represented in board gaming i think they're really cool actually because effectively what you are doing is you're working on a team with someone else against kind of the rest of the table or something if you think about it or another team or whatever you do have to balance your city so it's kind of like the splitting equal attention to left and right uh, yeah, I actually played the base game previously without Capitals, and I think Capitals is definitely kind of a must for me. I really enjoyed the things that it added. Um, the base game was a little bit plain and maybe obvious, basically kind of like you commit to something and it hopefully works out, and if it doesn't work out, you just don't score. Uh, the special tiles introduce a little bit of a twist uh, because they give you kind of some backup scoring opportunity if there's nothing good in your hands, um, in a way. Uh, the terrain is just kind of fun to look at, and there's an extra spatial challenge, so it's not just like a 4x4 four four like the base game, which is a little bit, again, more plain. Um, and the districts are something else to think about. So again, like where you're placing things in the base game, it's some, sometimes it's just kind of like, well, as long as the house is not next to a factory, that's all I care about. Now you maybe care about a district or something, making a larger district. So I just think like it, it makes it into more of a game, even though it still keeps it very light and definitely highly recommended. I really enjoy this game as well. Um, I think it's basically my favorite game, I guess, published by Stonemaier because it's not uh, designed by Jamie Stegmaier, apparently. Uh, so yeah, a really, really cool game. I, I always enjoy playing it. And it plays, because everyone plays simultaneously, uh, plays seven people extremely well. Actually, I would kind of not recommend less than four because you don't want to really, you want like a lot of competing interests, I think, around the table for a more fun game. Yeah, because otherwise I could see because I don't think the tiles adjust for player count, right? No. Other than you just you just don't draw some. Yeah, of them. you just don't draw some of them. So I think actually probably the full player count is probably best, maybe because all the tiles maybe come out or yeah. something. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's. I think that sounds like a better option to me. Well, most accounts. of them, at least, maybe most of them. There's a component of like, uh, is the right tile gonna be drafted to you? But uh, that's kind of just all drafting games. It's pretty light, but I think I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, it's a good game. I'd I'd play it any time, and is it's one I'm considering adding to the shelves. So yeah. that's between two cities. Uh, the other couple of games which were a success story from Board Game Arena, continuing on that, is uh, first one is Codex Naturalis, or Codex Naturalis. Uh, not published yet, I think it's coming soon. I was actually looking at release date, I think it's like June, July or something is what I was looking. Uh, really kind of straightforward game of collecting resources and scoring them. Um, the cool thing is the production of the game, actually. I really like kind of the art of the game. Uh, it comes in a, in a tin box, which I'm not a super huge fan of, but in that case, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, the cards are like foil, and they look like these kind of alchemists. They're going for like some kind of weird alchemist, whimsical, weird, like arcana style or something. Um which is probably why it's called Codex Naturalis. Maybe you're like categorizing plants or something for uh, experiments or whatever. That's kind of the air of what I'm gathering uh, from the very little theme that's in the game uh, because it basically is just all icons. But uh, you start with simple cards in front of you and the card has four corners and you start overlaying cards in corners. So every corner which is open can be overlaid with a different card and the icons which are not covered are active. So it's kind of like has this uh, splendor type thing where you're collecting kind of some kind of an engine to start pulling other cards. So you can draw cards which give you resources and which are just basically icons and cards which score those resources. And you're trying to, there's also a, a spatial, strong spatial um, element to the game because there's a goal which usually involves some kind of spa spatial element of the card like making specific patterns with cards so like uh maybe they need to be oriented some sp particular way or you need to make a diagonal three of like purple cards or something anyway there's a bunch of different options but among all these scoring opportunities some of which are kind of like uh, if you play this card you just get points some of them are like if this card covers corners which usually is bad because it covers icons and it kind of kills resources it scores points sometimes it's like this card scores one per scroll or something and you need to just make these scroll icons which are not resources they're just for scoring so you're starting to collect these icons that are not really giving you resources so it's kind of a race for points the first person to 20 like ends the game and then you score the secret objective that you have in the common objective and uh these like set collection cards with one per whatever um i think and that's the game really uh doesn't sound like much and it does have some top decking kind of issues if you're looking for a particular card card color there's a market of three and two of them are face up one is face down but you can always take the face down and uh top of the deck and hope that you get what you want uh so there's kind of an element of like someone gets a card and something might top deck that someone else wants but overall i think like the decisions are pretty cool the um I think what elevates the game for me over something like Splendor is the the spatial element because I think that's represented pretty strongly with scoring points and just kind of like how the cards build out because selecting cards 
the one of the decisions of selecting cards is how many corners they they have because you want corners to be able to place cards otherwise your tableau just like dies if you lock yourself in actually i haven't looked it up i never really read the rules fully to what happens if you can't place a card but that's definitely possible um i don't know maybe you have to like pass or so i don't know uh but there's a strong element of just kind of like how do you build out your tableau to not cover the icons that matter that you care about to go to fulfill the goals and to keep the icons alive that you need to keep alive um, and that's really cool um also the other attractive thing about the game is uh with how cool it looks it's only like ten dollars or something which is the, it's basically a simple card game uh, again it looks really cool with the foil and stuff so i was just like wow this is such a cool game for the uh kind of cheap price that it is and it's not just a two-player game i also thought it's a two-player game because that's what it looked like but it's a three four player game you just kind of like play three four uh, or two i mean works fine with two as well uh fairly solitaire you're just building your own tableau and you're kind of not really worrying about other people but because of like drafting decisions uh it kind of pushes you maybe into different directions or you're competing against someone for cards which might include a lot of top decking uh just i'm just overall really kind of impressed by the game and i was like wow this is such a cool game i don't know uh for some reason it just kind of pulled me in um like not many games of that type have done recently so that's codex naturalis um, this one actually looks really cool yeah, um, I think the say. aesthetic. I think the aesthetic is <laughs> the aesthetic looks really, really neat. Actually, this one looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's just really fun to play as well. And uh, that that it's it's kind of actually a little bit brain burning, like uh, especially with the spatial concerns like where do you place the card to set yourself up in the future to score more points and not shoot yourself by covering the icons that matter to you um the other thing that trevor is not going to be impressed about that we played was jekyll versus hyde uh, not not trevor's favorite from Best what game i ever fr from what i heard but i think it's really cool um i played a few more times after that game that we played it's trick taking game um asymmetric uh, published by a Korean, I think, designer and uh, publisher. I think that one is not out either. It was on Kickstarter, and that's what actually uh, interested me in the game. But I wasn't super ready to back it on Kickstarter. It actually sounded very similar to Fox in the Forest, uh, but I didn't look too much into it's it because not. it's not <laughs> not similar to Fox in the Forest, kind of at all, actually. Uh, it's a very asymmetric game because the entire goal of the game and how you win is one person plays as Dr. Jekyll and they want to uh, keep the tricks balanced at the end of the round. So they, the ideal situation for Dr. Jekyll is everyone takes five tricks. I think the, full, the, the one hand is ten tricks. So the ideal situation is... I take five, you take five. So they want to keep the game balanced. Uh, Mr. Hyde, I think it's Mr. Hyde, right? I haven't actually read the thing, unfortunately, the book. Um, it's a book, right? <laughs> Are you uh, there? It's, yeah, it's Dr. Jekyll. Doc, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, as Mr. Hyde, you are trying to unbalance the game. So Dr. Jekyll wants to keep it balanced. Dr. Mr. Hyde wants to unbalance it the ideal situation for mr hyde is either he loses all 10 tricks or he wins all 10 tricks basically uh, evil progresses towards mr hyde based on the difference of tricks 
absolute like it doesn't matter if it's like three five or seven two uh, it just moves by the difference between them so there's uh, kind of uh, a mechanic where you pick which one which color is stronger than the other the earlier played color played color is actually weaker uh which is an interesting mechanic because you kind of want to play if you're trying to lose you want to play the color you have the most out of first so that it's the weakest so you can basically slough cards and actually they're one it's kind of like almost like a trump or something uh concept there's also these potions which uh every suit has an ability and some of the abilities are well they're just like one of the swap cards the other one is reset that color trump thing and the third potion i can't remember oh the third potion is take an extra trick whoever wins the trick gets an extra trick uh, which might help kind of balance tricks later on um the game is prone to some unfortunate uh deals i think um because i'd say like most games of this kind it's more difficult for one player uh to kind of play the game and that's actually why they recommend even in the rule book that you play as the roles and then you swap the roles and play another game and the higher score wins between the two games kind of uh so you basically swap roles because i think dr jekyll is definitely the toughest one tough tougher one it's much easier to unbalance the game than to balance it uh but playing as both is actually really interesting uh what also kind of uh, to me cheapens the game a little bit is you do take i think seven cards out which is kind of a lot of cards actually so you don't know sometimes if someone is out of a suit and basically things can go really wrong really fast is my experience with the game um i think the game has some depth though and i kind of want to play it maybe over and over with someone who likes it <laughs> which is not trevor no. but um <laughs> because i think like you can kind of you can get better at the game as uh, what i'd like to believe uh but it is prone to some weird deals with like uh basically dr jekyll gets a lot of high or low cards and yes even you can, even though you can swap two cards and kind of uh play the potion the the potion that takes an extra trick at the uh, right time even then like sometimes your hand is just either too good or too bad and it's really easy to just continue taking tricks that you don't want or or lose tricks that you think you should have um so very very kind of precarious balance but overall like really fascinating concept i don't think there's another game where uh two-player game oh it's only a two-player game if that wasn't obvious but i don't think there's another game where someone wants to unbalance the tricks in the game and someone wants to balance the tricks in the game that's very interesting concept that hasn't been done before um very unique i think it has potential i need to play it more it's on board game arena as well i played a few games there but i'm still not sure like if there's is just a bunch of bs and luck or if there's some strategy that i need to just get better at or maybe it's a mix of both really i don't know yeah i mean you you highlighted exactly like my core issue with it on paper and when you're talking about it the game actually sounds cool the problem with it in i mean of the many <laughs> in my opinion um is that the there's too few cards and it's very very prone to you just got the wrong hand and so you lose um and and there the special abilities 
what I think set Fox in the Forest apart from this. There are more cards that do special ability type things. And in this one, there's just not. Um, and so basically it's skewed towards Mr. Hyde and you could just get the wrong hand. And we played it twice and it, I got the wrong hand both times. It seemed I, I probably made mistakes as well, but uh, I put, I played both sides of that and lost pretty handily both on, on those. And so when I, when I play a game of that weight, that's kind of like, it makes you think that there's going to be all these cool decisions to make, but really it's just, well, you drew the wrong hand and there's no mechanism to mitigate the hand you drew. It just, it just kind of falls really flat for me. Yeah, no, I like I say, I'm kind of. I need to play it more to see if um, it's controllable, like I hope it is, or maybe it's just a bunch of uncontrolled BS that just kind of happens to you, or like I say, maybe a mix. Uh, I did. The, the, that is pretty swingy, like all trick-taking games. Like sometimes you have a really long run of colors, and usually what happens, well, obviously, as you know, in trick-taking games, if you play them, if you have a lo long run of colors, you either win them all or lose them all. And this Dr. Jekyll, that's both a disaster. So you desperately <laughs> yeah. try to make that not happen, but sometimes it feels kind of very unavoidable. You try to minimize the damage, and you still get a lot of damage and it's just kind of like feels bad so i don't know yeah but very very fascinating concept um it's just a deck of cards so it shouldn't be too expensive i hope at retail hopefully we'll see we'll see how it goes yeah i mean i i will give it to you that the, the game does feel unique and it on paper it sounds cool and it has some cool aspects to it that i think are really interesting it's just ultimately unfortunately the the trick-taking games i like usually either are super basic and and are finessable so you kind of know what the world of cards are out there and you can kind of just try to navigate it that way or they have elements that help you mitigate bad draws or kind of distract from the randomness of card draws and unfortunately this one for me just kind of uh amplified the bad parts <laughs> yeah no it is it is kind of swingy and it is kind of frustrating uh especially if you if it's a bad like hand and yeah it's going the wrong way so it feels like you're sliding down the roof and it's just uh yep <laughs> it, it's just like the edge is Who just coming faster? and it's like <laughs> yeah anyway yeah so if yep. you like that type of game i think you'll like this and like christo said it's it's got some cool ideas in it so if this is that if this is the type of game that you enjoy generally then i think people will like it yep jekyll versus hyde that's it all right, one quick mention just because I have to. Um, I did this last Sunday. We had a Tybor the Builder marathon, and I played all eight chapters. <laughs> so we don't have to play it anymore? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, you don't have to play it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually think this one's fine, and I, I think if I remember correctly, the last time you played this, you enjoyed it more than the Oh My Goods game. Um, but anyway, this is the Alexander Pfister uh, published by Lookout Games. It's, it's, it's just a card drafting game um, where you're trying to build buildings. and It's kind of a set collection, really. There's a pretty strong yeah. set collection element in it, I think. Yeah, so you're on your turn, you're drafting um, a card. It basically, all the cards are either placed above you, above your player area as citizens 
in which case they will be the citizens that are shown on the card. So it could be like a priest or a, a farmer or a builder. And the different types of cards have different types of set collection scoring. Sometimes you want to collect the most of them or have a certain number or, or whatever. And you just score points with them at the end of the game. You could also draft them and put them to the right side of your player area, in which case they're used for their strength. And then you use the strength to activate the left side of your player area, which is just building buildings from a common building market. And uh, sometimes you want to collect different sets of colors of the buildings for scoring purposes, or sometimes you want to collect multiples of the same. Um, and sometimes uh, the buildings are just points. Um, and you can either build a small or a large building depending on the strength you have to, to spend. Um, the reason I wanted to say this, to, to bring this up, is actually the story part of this game, similar to, we'll talk about Oh My Goods later when we make it through that saga, um, but the story part of this game actually made the game, I think, exponentially better because it gives you... Um, not only sometimes a focus for the round, but also sometimes it gives you uh, additional benefits um, uh, for for scoring, or sometimes it makes something happen um, at the end of each round. Uh, I won't spoil it for anybody, but there is a chapter in here that uh, does in the story that at the end of each round, a certain thing happens if you meet a certain condition. Um, and so it, it just gives some variability, I guess, to a an otherwise really small and simple card drafting set collection game. Um, and I, I think it's it's a kind of a zen game for me. It's just fun and simple and uh, not really uh, frustrating or anything yep. like that. It's just, yeah, a, no, just a fun it, little game. It reminds me a lot of, again, the, the Splendor type of game where the colors make things cheaper for you as well so there's a slight engine building element to that too and i just really enjoy kind of both drafting and set collection so i think that's why it's uh, it's a good game for me I, I also enjoy it um yeah yep and actually i did discover that there's a small expansion for it called at the king's behest so uh your tybor the builder uh. days might not be over <laughs> no, actually, I enjoy it. I don't. Uh, I would actually mind that less than all oh my goods to be honest to play. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> well, good thing I'm making you play all my goods then. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can play this one. I'd play this one anytime. It's a it's a yeah. good game, and and uh, the expansion has promise because I enjoyed the what the story did for Tybor. The builder. Yep. Anyway, that's that's it for me on games played. Yeah, I think that's all the games that we wanted to talk about for this week. And next, we're going to talk about Tabletop Game Awards. Alright, so uh, we've had some news about certain awards which are a very big deal when well, supposedly in board gaming, uh, Spiel des Jahres is what I'm talking about. Recently, we got the list of uh, nominated games, at least for this year, and the recommendations. Uh, Trevor also was looking at Golden Geek Awards. On, I think that's a board game geek thing, right? Yes. Remember kind of a similar timeline. The uh, nominations are uh, 
they go live around this time of year and then they are usually the winners are announced usually around BGG con, which I think is later in the summer or maybe early fall this year, depending on COVID stuff. So it's deliberate. So they're not influenced by each other. I don't know if that works really, because you can keep voting. I think even after, uh, Spiel Desires is announced. But yeah, no, uh, that's kind of interesting. There's a bunch of awards, actually. There's a lot of awards, actually, for board games. And uh, I don't know, do you do you care about these awards, Trevor, at all? Or is it kind of just kind of fun? Or what, what are your feelings about just generally board gaming awards? And do you care about some more than others, maybe? Well, uh, we had a bit of foreshadowing on this episode i guess because i actually think that these awards contribute to the out of printness <laughs> of certain games yep. i was just thinking about that um so on a, on a personal level i couldn't care less about what game is nominated or wins or whatever because um personally i'm out there just looking for and and researching and reading about games anyway so maybe a game nomination puts it on my radar. Maybe it doesn't. But it, what I mean by I couldn't care less is I'm not going to, you know, all other things being equal. If I'm looking at two games on a shelf and one of them has a Spiel des Jahres and one of them doesn't, that doesn't sway my decision. No, you have to play Spiel des Jahres because <laughs> better. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> the other game's not good because it's not Spiel des Jahres. <laughs> yeah. well, we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I, I think it's I think it's cool, and I think it's more than anything. It's ways um, for probably the game, like maybe the games or publishers to get recognition. It's just, but I don't know. I don't. It it doesn't for me personally. It doesn't influence my own habits or my own preferences. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think for me it's ex- exactly the same as you're saying. Uh, I definitely really don't care about like other people say this game is good, so I have to say that it's good. So I definitely, as you've noticed, kind of disagree with uh, a lot of the just kind of reviews. Uh, sometimes I agree, sometimes I disagree. Basically, I just like don't even care what people say but it does have the value of kind of highlighting games that maybe i should have paid it more attention to or maybe i passed by and maybe like because they thought they were interesting i just take another look at games uh and sometimes i don't make uh i don't change my decision but sometimes i'm just like wow this is actually really cool and maybe i should have uh taken a second look or something or just kind of like puts things on my radar to just kind of check out myself and make my own decisions about it i think that's probably the value for me and i guess it does have like prestige for publishers and they did it does drive, um, even though we're like uh, hipster nerds or whatever, it does drive, <laughs> definitely drives uh, sales, um, which, yeah, if a game oh, has sure. won some yeah. kind of awards, you put it on the box with like foil and stuff. And well, some games do that, some don't. Uh, but it's definitely a thing like you um, kind of it's prestige, I guess. I actually wonder. Buy stuff. I wonder how many awards other than the Spiel des Jahres actually influence sales. Because I know that if something gets nominated or wins the Spiel des Jahres, you can pretty much anticipate that game is going to go gangbusters and just sell really, really well, at least for the next year or two. But I don't know. Like, There's plenty of other awards that... Does it even matter? (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. There's a bunch of awards. Uh, there's also like a award for publishers, I think, which you were saying like is decided by board game stores only or like people in the yeah. industry or whatever or some kind of insiders or I don't know how it's defined. Uh, actually, it's interesting. I guess uh, what about different judgment methods or the decision methods? Because uh, it's very different. Spiel des Jahres, for example, is decided by a panel. So it's basically like 10 or 15 people. They actually have their pictures, I think, on the website. Whereas uh, Golden Geek is decided by the users. I think the uh, Board Game Geek, the basically, users, yeah, you just—is <laughs> it the paying users? Yeah, you have to you like can, pay to you, vote. You know, not yeah. everyone can vote, so you can't register fake accounts and spam. That's probably correct. Why yeah, they did I think <laughs> I think you have to have um, participated or donated or done. There's some paywall, Geek Gold or something. Yeah. maybe something. I don't know that it's Geek Gold, Geek Gold but I think it's something. like you know how they do their annual fundraiser or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you have to have participated in something like that in order to vote yeah it makes sense but yeah what about the different uh methods of choosing things i don't know which one do you favor yeah it's really strange because i was reading um i was reading about how the spiel of the jars is is selected and in in a, in a few words basically the spiel of the jars is trust us we know this and shut up and these are our choices <laughs> because the the if you ask them well what's our criteria they'll say we don't have any and they just say well can somebody like get their game to you and on purpose to get into selection and the answer is no if our panel happens to <laughs> discover your game then that's how it's discovered that that's how it gets into the running and then the everybody's from a german speaking country so if your game is not published in german yes, you yes. cannot be the game of the year it also um, must be distributed and sold in german yes. which is very relevant for what i'm about to talk about actually because some of the games are like hilariously old for english speaking yeah. people uh <laughs> but yeah actually they do have an faq here i'm reading it and yeah a lot of it is basically uh, game must be playable as a standalone game, not an expansion. Yeah, you don't say. And the biggest thing is it has to be available in Germany and distributed in Germany and available at retail. So, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's certainly some value in a, a panel of people who know games well and and selecting that way. But year after year, it, at least lately, they'll release the nominations and <laughs> you know they'll get a reaction from the board game community it's like what <laughs> yep <laughs> like what are those first of all either that i've never heard of that game ever or that game kind of sucks or i mean that's all subjective right or uh, you know that game like how why didn't all these other amazing games like make it Maybe they just weren't translated into German or Maybe or whatever. the panel just didn't get to play them is the funniest yeah. thing. Or like, you know, because you have such a small panel, do you run the risk of like getting into some kind of group think? Of, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and supposedly the panel's pretty diverse and they don't all play the same games all the time and they're not like, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. it, just, it just has some funny results sometimes. And that's not to say that the games that are nominated and win are bad games. It's just sometimes the nomination list is just kind of like, huh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think uh, Spiel des Jahres has kind of outgrown its own, I don't know, uh, goodness or whatever, um, or relevance or something. It's technically a German award and it's kind of been extrapolated to worldwide. And I think that's one of the biggest things with uh, panel is you get probably a limited selection because not everyone and i think there's no people in on the panel which are like professional board game whatever people they don't play games like every day or something i don't think they even work in like a game store i think they just have like regular professions and they just play a lot of board games maybe i don't know what the criteria is even but uh yeah i think that's kind of weakness of jury is you get a narrower selection to begin with and that's i think why you end up with these like weird games sometimes where it's like what the heck are you guys yeah thinking? it's like this very small group kind of it almost seems like sometimes or maybe the current trend is sort of away from picking the huge hits yeah yeah and yeah. really just like digging and trying to find this, this obscure game that yeah has uh, that feels kind of novel yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that so it's almost like there it's sort of i don't want to say academic but it's it's more like a pursuit of finding this like weird game rather than i don't know that the spiel de jars means this is the most popular game it's more yep. just kind of like what the group kind of landed on i guess the coolest game whatever that means uh, i think yeah. in contrast the golden geek awards is like basically the the biggest hotness that's hotted in the year <laughs> yeah. uh for based on a whole lot of categories actually yes so yep and i think there are weaknesses to that as well right because you could just get this for whatever reason because it was marketed well or it had or it has <laughs> or gloomhaven, gloomhaven in the name or it <laughs> yeah. was gloomhaven they should just have a gloomhaven category yeah <laughs> um or or it just had like a stack of minis or whatever it is um you know if you have a large enough following behind it and those that following happens to being happens to be paying members of bgg then you can probably count on being nominated yeah um so there's there's weaknesses to both sides which is and because of the you know just i because i know how these games are selected um and because i have issues with how they're selected i i like i said it doesn't influence my purchasing habits but like you said i i kind of treat these awards more as just ways of discovering more games yep cool Anything else to mention, or should we move on to kind of more specific discussions uh, let's, let's about dive the in. specific stuff? All right, um, I guess I can start talking about um, just kind of what I saw uh, personally. Uh, looking at Spiel des Jahres in particular, I kind of looked more into Spiel des Jahres. Uh, I actually went through all of the games, which kind of like watched reviews uh, of them. Uh, over the last couple of days for the Spiel des Jahres, not the Kinder, but yes, the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, which is kind of the more connoisseur games of the year, which I wasn't familiar with. And actually, uh, speaking of coolness, uh, a couple of games actually did stand out to me as just, wow, this is like a really cool game that I probably would have passed by otherwise if uh, they didn't kind of bring it to my attention here. Um... For Spiel des Jahres, actually, uh, I guess you should list the nominees are The Adventures of Robin, Who, Robin Hood, um, Micro Macro Crime City, and Zombie Teens. Yes, I did watch a review of Zombie Teens in the name of 
the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's actually thank it's, you for doing that because yep. well, we'll see what you say. <laughs> no, actually, uh, I was gonna say it, it, it's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, zombie teen sounds ridiculously bad. I think it's zombie teens evolution. Actually, I don't know why it's they just had zombie the, teens. Was well, the second? It's the second iteration of this yeah. zombie teens. But uh, yeah, you, it's it's not as bad as it sounds. It's only half as bad as it sounds. <laughs> uh, recommendation list: uh, Bis Twenty, which is I think like cut 20 or something which is uh some weird game that actually i did not watch a review for that uh because it was only available in german and i don't know german and uh i just read the description which is really weird uh basically the game is kind of like you count up to 20 but there's rules that uh come in so you have to remember to do like weird things maybe say things do things um actually uh, there's another game which uh, i have which is kind of like based on the same concept of memorizing a sequence of weird actions to do while you're doing something else but definitely out there um i think the weight on board game geek was one which is to be expected from something like that basically counting up to 20 with weird rules uh really weird but anyway i did not watch a review for that one uh chakra point salad switch and signal and the key sabotage in lucky llama land those are the recommendations. <laughs> That's the best one. That one should have won. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the standouts for me actually were, first of all, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, that's not in English yet. Uh, that's a game that's coming, I think they were saying September or something, or maybe earlier. Uh, that actually shot up to my interest list like really high uh, because it seems like it's kind of a follow-up, spiritual follow-up to Legends of Andor, which I really enjoy, but maybe even more refined and a little bit lighter, um, but I think in a good way. Uh, it's it's a game where you are playing on a map, and the map looks beautiful, by the way, because uh, I think actually my speculation is this is going to get the award, and it's actually Mine really too. cool because it's Michael Menzel, and he's a illustrator, but apparently he's turning into a game designer, and I think his first kind of big game, uh, but I think he designed something like Phase 10 Junior or something in 2011, which is kind of a, well, I don't know, uh, kind of an experiment probably, but really Legends of Andor and uh, this game coming out now is kind of his step into designing board games and it actually looks really good um it's a story game and you play on the map which is illustrated by him the game is illustrated and designed by him uh and the map has these revealed revealing elements so you go through a story and based on what you do in the story the, the map has these cutouts and they flip over or you replace them or whatever so they have like different states so the map changes basically on uh, based on what you do um, so really really cool idea the production is insane the whole map is like du dual layer i guess uh, it comes with a ridiculously thick hard cover book which is kind of the choose your own adventure part of the game uh like really legit looking like book which is yeah. i was impressed um and the other weird thing in the game is uh the whole game is kind of based on like a 
bag pulling a bunch of bag pulling mechanics for like skill checks fighting and a bunch of stuff so it's like bag building kind of uh but the weird thing is it's actually kind of like a miniature games concept yeah, which this, is like wtf gonna... i was like you actually pull out these like rulers and the, they're not really rulers but like they're kind of effectively distance rulers and you're trying to move your pieces around the board using the rulers from a place to a place so it's and, just and like, don't uh don't some of the meeples also have like a trail of something behind the like a the the piece itself has a bit of wood at the bottom so it's like yeah different yeah, yeah. That, meeples have I'm different saying. lengths yeah i think that that's what i'm saying is that's the ruler thing and yeah. i think the first two steps you take use the short ones and the final step you take if you take it as a long one so you like you can forfeit it to add a cube to the bag which makes fighting easier so you kind of like either you push your movement or you push your fighting a little bit every time but yeah it's like it's such a weird mix of this like weird legacy style flipping board with some kind of miniature game mechanics and also like the shadows on the board matter actually uh because there's like an area element of the game so like really creative stuff and really just kind of really good looking game i'm guessing it's going to be fairly light uh to play um the board game geek i think was saying something like two ish 174 so it's definitely on the light side but i was like holy crap this actually looks really cool and uh i don't know um i think like he just really gets this style of painting that i um, like for these kind of games uh i think it's kind of like he leans into like the realistic and gritty side of medieval life and it just looks kind of very like uh, enchanting but not in a magical way it's just kind of like it kind of pulls you in like a good like fantasy to me um, painting or novel or whatever just kind of this really cool feeling um, and it's just like really good looking so that was I was like holy crap this actually looks really good it sounded actually actually that you looked into it what what did you, did you have anything to add Trevor yeah um, well you covered all the points that I think are going to be really interesting about this game because I um, I do like playing games with a story arc, even if it's not, um, you know, set in stone. Choose your adventure is fine, and I I like the theme of this game. I I tend to like fantasy slash medieval, um, basically themes based in some sort of reality. I don't tend to enjoy, or at least not pursue the sci-fi themes as much, even though I don't have any problem with them. But yeah, the mechanics of of this game it just seem new and 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 interesting i think that the the movement around the board and the exploration and and skill checks and that i'm i'm excited to see how that's done because i like to see i like to see games iterating on how skill checks are done and and uh exploration and, and movement that that just seems fun to play i think I don't think the skill checks and that kind of the back building stuff actually to me is more of a downside. I think uh, what I'm going to really enjoy is the kind of story part of the game and yeah. just kind of being pulled into the story really. I think that's what's really cool. Uh, to me it does give me some kind of really strong vibes of Legends of Andor. Not mechanically, the mechanics are completely different but it's obviously same artist, obviously kind of same ideas of like storytelling, uh, a little bit different obviously but uh kind of kind of really cool i was just like really impressed by that so that game was definitely not on my radar but it, it is now yeah so. i had i had looked at this one before but if um before i'd realized it'd been nominated um and yeah this one has been on my 
to check out list when it finally is available. And I'm with you. I think that it, if it were my vote, this one would be the winner yep. of the three. Uh, speaking of which, the other one that really got me kind of interested, um, that one definitely was nowhere even near my radar. And uh, speaking of cool and weird games, Micro Macro Crime City, um, by the name of it, I expected something really disastrously weird and the German or whatever, or I don't know, they came up with it out of thin air and not good. But it's this really weird idea. I don't know if the game actually would work in practice or it would be fun. But the, the entire game has this incredibly huge map of a city, uh, which is black and white for a reason, I think, to actually obscure things and not make things easy to find. Because the entire game is you're trying to go through scenarios and basically look for stuff around the city. And there's little stories connected with what happens around the city. Uh, there's a little bit of a kind of like snapshot aspect because some scenarios expect you to track a person where they went around the city so it actually sounds like it could i be either be a nightmare uh of like <laughs> i don't care epic about playing this or of epic <laughs> proportions or something that's really cool and unique and fun so i don't know where i'm gonna fall on this but i, I was just really kind of blown away by like what is this thing you know this is like nothing that anyone's ever done before um obviously extremely light like i don't know if this is even the game according to whatever our definitions were a couple of episodes ago um but definitely interesting. it's an activity in, at least <laughs> yeah it's definitely an, an activity it comes with a magnifying glass by the way amazingly so pretty and cool. a bunch of little colored <laughs> discs to put on stuff yeah yeah when, to, when to i was reading things. when i was reading through this i the i could not get out of my head that this is where's waldo the board game yep yeah so it it i don't know it might have kind of that nostalgic effect for some people where it's kind of just a bunch of connections of where's waldo with some deduction i guess because yeah, you're just maybe looking around the city trying to piece things together and put it maybe if they arrange the sequence or something i don't know It'll yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of curious if they did something other than like find the thing. Like if the stories are really interesting, if there's some kind of weird like plot twist or like I'm kind of curious like where they took the entire thing. Like uh, I hope the whole game is not just like find this here, find this there, find this thing, find this there, all over the place. Uh, but I was just like, wow, this is cool. Um, so anyway, that's just kind of my experience with that game in particular. So Micro Macro Crime City, I don't know if I'm going to rush out to buy it, but I definitely would like to play it. It's actually really strong, maybe, I don't know, Salt Con Candidate, not really. We'll see, we'll see. We'll have to, we'll have to find somebody that we can coerce into buying this so we can play it <laughs> yeah or maybe it's gonna be me after all i don't know um yeah. we'll see well, I, do I, trust I just think the it's publisher, like so yeah i just think it's like so cool like i it obviously like tickles the as i mentioned before i really like unique games with like what the heck is this and this is definitely one of them like i don't know if there's gonna be another game really like this kind of any time soon or something or ever 
Uh, Zombie Teens actually didn't look that bad, but I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, it's kind of like this weird legacy co-op game, legacy elements. Uh, it's it's fine. It's kind of like Plant vs. Zombies style, and it's kind of for children, I think, mostly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is basically if you enjoy games that have story progressions and like uh, your character improves as you play, this is that, but like it's basically watered down to an inch of its life <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Um, so. actually i think the explanation for the base mission is extremely simple like are you kidding me it's like ridiculously simple but i'm kind of curious where they take it with the legacy elements or basically because the, the apparently the whole rule book is blank so what i'm guessing is gonna happen is like you add more and more rules to where you start playing this like really different game eventually or at least that's what i think but uh I mean, are you kidding me? I don't think I'm going to be buying or playing zombie teens. But I was yeah. like, I was just curious, like, how, what, what is a game called zombie teens and how, like, how bad can it be? And it's actually pretty good. It's, it doesn't sound bad at all. Uh, yeah. So I guess I'm just not the kind target of a, audience for this yeah. type of game. Kind of, yeah, I think we're both not the target audience, but I think it could be cool with uh, just maybe like as a family game or something. I think it's good or like as a children's game or play with your children or something because I think it has probably decisions that are interesting to adults as well, but not enough to probably play. Uh, the recommendations, not really to mention much. Chakra, actually, we played it both a bunch of board game arena points. Salad, I played it. It's okay. Switch and Signal seemed like okay. Key Sabotage and Lucky Lamaland. They keep putting like kind of children-oriented games games i think that's another one that's oriented towards uh children uh out of the kenner spiel actually i don't know if you're looking at the list or whatever yep um oh yeah i was gonna mention lost ruins of arnak is uh, pretty solid it's like yay uh thumbs up at least you got one popular game right <laughs> <laughs> i i personally am not an insanely huge fan of it but at least it's a very popular game so it's fine well, but the the interesting thing about how this one made it on to the list is that it's it's a solid game and it's fun to play i like it but i don't know what like makes it unique other than that it's new and popular i mean right it's now. worker placement plus uh deck building that's what makes dune and lost Rings yeah, of Arnak I, I unique guess. i guess so I guess whatever so. and maybe it's the one that was published in german <laughs> Uh, yeah also that's probably a huge component and maybe it's the one that most of the jury played as we mentioned but anyway uh but at least it's fine uh fantasy realms basically wtf i remember playing this <laughs> game like three years ago and i was like well that's fine um actually i liked it quite a bit uh, oddly enough i actually remembered that i wanted to play it uh, just six months ago before any indication that it was anywhere near spiel des Jahres. um and i bought like one of the last copies because an expansion was coming out and i wanted to have the expansion and the base game because it's a cool game and then red rising came out which is basically kind of the same game plus some extra stuff on top i actually still like fantasy realms probably more because of the simplicity uh and it got freaking nominated for Kennerspiel, the Zaris, which also Kennerspiel, it's not really that heavy of a game. It's draft 10 cards, and or not enough, if it's 10. I can't remember. I think it's like variable hand size. But it's like a 15 minute game. You draft some cards and you try to just score them. That's the whole game. It's yeah. not complicated at to, all. To your point, <laughs> I think I think Chakra and maybe uh, the 
Adventures of Robin Hood are arguably heavier than this game. <laughs> yep, I would say that, yes, for sure. Uh, Chakra is also kind of, yeah, there's more decisions to be made. In, uh, I don't know. It depends. There are different kinds of decisions, maybe. There are different kinds of decisions. But I was yeah. just kind of like, what the heck is this? Maybe it got published in German now, but the game is from 2016, which is kind of weird. <laughs> so 2016 games nominated for 21 Spiel des Jahres. I would yeah. have thought it would have been in Germany a long time ago, right? Or yeah, did it just barely get there? That's interesting. It may, maybe it just got published because, yeah, one of the criteria is it has to be published in this year. So I think maybe like it they it took four years or five years for them to publish it in German, which is well, really Well, it is a weird. very large game. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, Trevor's being sarcastic. The game is literally like 80 cards or something. So translate 80 cards and congratulations, you've done it. But <laughs> I yeah. that that's just one of those things that I was like, what? And obviously, like it sold out because it's a cheap card game available in English, so it suddenly like exploded in popularity, and everyone's like, Fantasy Realms. Um, it's it's fine, whatever. The, so passing by, uh, actually, Palio was one game that I really became interested by watching the review because the box does not look attractive to me. I'm not super huge on the theme. But um, I think it's a really cool system after watching kind of an overview of it. Uh, it's a co-op game. It reminds me actually of Friday, um, the board, like, it's called Friday, just Friday, which is actually a solo game, which is a very similar game. Basically, you go through the same deck of cards, and they represent kind of events that happen to you. And you try to kind of deal with them, and then you try to make items to make your life easier. And there's some resource management, and there's a bit of deck building, and you're kind of trying to basically kind of survive. In Friday's case, you're trying to uh, survive as, uh, gosh, what's it called? I've I'm blanking about the name. Uh, the person who was shipwrecked on that island. Robinson Crusoe. Robinson Crusoe, yeah. Um, actually, it was compared to Robinson Crusoe, even though I haven't played it. Robinson Crusoe is a much heavier game, I think, altogether. Uh, but yeah, you're trying to just basically survive, and that's very similar to this. You're trying to, in this game, in Palio, you're uh, the ancient... Uh, Paleolithic, I guess. That's probably what the name comes from. Uh, tribe of uh, just people who are good at different things. And you... Very thematic, actually. And I really kind of enjoyed those games. Uh, that's kind of a, a thing for me as people complain with games like Race for the Galaxy or this or whatever. They don't, they don't have theme. Uh, Race for the Galaxy has a pretty abstract theme. But I like theme through kind of like suggestion and icons and kind of like you have to think about what's happening in the game to make your own stories about it and this has that because you kind of deal with these events really abstract events where you meet like a mammoth or something and you have to take it down if you have a certain amount of spears and people have to help you out by sacrificing cards of their deck or whatever with their icons so there's kind of like stories in the game but the stories emerge through kind of icons they're not written or read to you or whatever you kind of have to make them up and i really enjoy that um co-op game uh has to do with obviously decks of cards again you go through events you're trying to just survive i think keep your people alive basically i think a certain amount of time or something you craft uh certain items which can help you uh i like it i uh, i think uh, that's uh, i'm 
definitely interested in this game as well as a result of this. I hadn't previously looked at it, and maybe I would, would have just completely passed me by. Um, I don't know if you looked at this at all or if you have any comments. Otherwise, I'm just going to go through the recommendations and kind of... Yeah, you, you kind of cover everything. It was just same same reaction as you. As it was not really on my radar, but now it kind of is. Yeah, yeah. I, I really kind of... The system has a lot of promise. I really like those kind of uh, go through your go through the deck kind of games. Um, I really enjoy Friday as well. It did get a little bit old because it's a solo game, so I'm hoping this one has a little bit more depth than Friday. Friday is fine for like... 10 plays and then you basically figure out the system and you can almost beat it any time and to me maximizing the score is kind of whatever it's like a solo game you're trying to beat your own score it's not not the most exciting type of gameplay uh aeon's end this is another wtf recommendation list for Kennerspiel because this game i think is 2017 <laughs> if i remember correctly or maybe even 15 let me actually see i'm kind of curious what it is uh 16 another game from 2016 so good job spiel des Jahres for nominating games from 2016 i'm guessing it's published by in german again uh people have actually talked about uh wanting to play this game i'm not a huge fan of co-op deck building games that are kind of like beat up a monster type which is what this is uh, also a lot of text on cards so that's kind of what the downside for me is but i've heard really good things about it uh to the point where i was like considering trying it uh, someone else's copy but it didn't happen uh rift force is a little bit confusing because i don't it doesn't look that amazing to me but interesting game maybe i'll try it um what a surprise gloomhaven um that's <laughs> it's always uh, gonna be there by default it's on there and actually another really solid game that i'm surprised to see on the recommendation list but maybe i'm not because last year it was under water cities uh so it's barrage this year which is uh definitely a kenner spiel candidate in my opinion uh probably should have been on the list itself instead of something like fantasy realms to be honest but yeah, yeah as long as game. we're uh, as long as we're going back in time because barrage i think was a 2019 game oh yeah maybe another delayed german publish so yep but that's uh kind of my input on kind of going through spiel des Jahres from my perspective uh my guy obviously agree with some games i kind of think the other games are really just weird and surprising i think the adventures of robin hood is gonna win what about uh spiel what do you think they're gonna pick um you know my just going off the hype machine i want to say arnak is gonna yeah, win yeah actually same I'm, I'm leaning towards arnak again because of the hype machine but what should be fantasy if, realms that'd be hilarious yeah i think <laughs> if it's not arnak it would be paleo um but yeah, watch us watch me be wrong, and it be <laughs> it be fantasy realms. I just think in terms of in terms of a connoisseur game, I don't think that fantasy realms does as much for the hobby as either Paleo or Lost Ruins of Arnak. It's just it's very very simple, and I don't know that it's super super new or or anything like yep. that. Yeah. Yep. Cool. What about so, uh, Golden Geek? Yeah, so I, I won't go through the, the whole list. That, that would be insane. <laughs> uh, buckle up, everybody. We're going to be here for another three hours. <laughs> but yep. uh, no, I actually just wanted to pick one can one um, category and just kind of go through the games there and talk about it for just a second. Um, Zoomable game. Actually, yes. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> By yeah, the so- way, they have a category of zoomable game, and I was like, "What the heck is this?" I thought it's like zooming like in going and out. Fast. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually thought it's zooming oh. in and out, like some kind of a grid. Like you can zoom out, like you zoom <laughs> yeah. in and you do something on a small scale, and then you zoom out and do things on a large scale. It turns out it's actually referring to Zoom, like the online Zoom, where you can because the pandemic. I think they invented a thing where you can. I don't know if actually did they have it before the pandemic. Uh, games you can play over Zoom, like by just so, like talking about them, or you can easily share screens and do the things that are needed. I think it was done before, and certainly it had been conceived before because even I. So I used to have a game group when I was in school out out on the East Coast, and when we moved out here to the West, we thought of well, how are we going to continue playing games with each other? And we we well, the answer is we don't really. <laughs> uh, yeah. But we had thought of ways to do it through like FaceTime, and certain games would work and certain games wouldn't. But um, yep. yeah, this last year kind of really brought some games to the forefront, and uh, you know the the list includes games like My City, Forgotten Waters. Um, you know, games where basically there's maybe some source of central information, but you really can just play your own game on your own board. Yep. So those are type of the the type of games I think that would fit into that category. I think the other category, uh, the other concern is uh, very few pieces that other people are moving, so it's easy to just kind of like just by hearing yeah. things what's happening you can update your board because you probably don't want to update a lot of stuff yeah. with resources and things and and basically any game with like a shared deck of cards would be just a nightmare yeah <laughs> so yeah that that probably wouldn't wouldn't be great for a zoomable game but yeah that's that is now a category where you can win an award on bgg that will cause hundreds of millions of people to buy your games <laughs> possibly yep <laughs> possibly no guarantee terms and conditions apply um no the the category i wanted to talk about is actually innovative games uh let me scroll to it there we go Um, cosmic frog yeah yeah so the first one on there um so i've i've i don't know too much about cosmic frog actually but uh so beyond the sun is one that's actually kind of an interesting thing that it is a game because there's a lot of games out there that have a tech tree meaning you can just like buy into this player ability that then allows you to buy up into a better ability that just kind of makes your game more interesting and allows you to do cool actions um beyond the sun it's the whole game is a tech tree so the entire purpose i think it's like sort of a very simple action selection concept where you're basically moving an action pawn around and then you do the action at that space um uh, then you're going to produce resources, turn those resources into uh, different resources, buy into more technologies, and I think it's kind of get to a certain technolog, maybe one or more uh, technological achievements, and then win the game by having probably the most points. Um, but it actually, <laughs> it's just funny to me that the that this could be an interesting game like an element that is usually part of a larger game has been turned into its own game i don't know if you've looked at this one uh yeah i did look at it but i don't really have too many comments i need to basically play it i actually 
do know of a couple of other games which are basically a huge tech tree. Um, I can't think of one, but I think it was actually a Greek game where you're trying, you're going through Greece and like colonizing Greece or taking over Greece or something. And it had like basically half the game is a waterfall where you're coming from the north and going through Greece. I can't remember. But anyway, no, I've, I've, uh, they're not very common. The weird thing with this one is it's extremely popular. So that's why I'm like really curious about it because usually no one likes these tech tree type games especially the sci-fi tech tree type games uh they have a very particular audience which is maybe like me and hardly anyone else um no what i mean is like they're not popular at all this one has been getting like really ridiculously good reviews and i kind of wonder like what what is the magic here or how did how did this happen <laughs> because because <laughs> this category does not usually get a lot of attention like huge tech tree sci-fi games with resource management that's like not yeah a popular game category. And, and what's, yeah, and it, to your point, I still have to, to learn this game and play it. It is on BGA, um, and if you're at SaltCon later this summer in, in Utah, Haristo and I will actually be teaching this game. Um, but I, I don't know that there's anything like super crazy about this game that would make it explosively popular. Yep. Because it is just a tech tree with some resource conversion. Um, yeah, even the production, like the, there's nothing super attractive about the board itself. I think is just very run of the mill kind of resources. With uh, yeah, I'm just really kind of amazed. Like, what the heck is this? Is kind of my yeah. my input on this so far. So yeah. that. Uh, I kind of want to tamper my expectations, but because of the hype, it's kind of like this better be amazing. <laughs> so yeah, we'll exactly. see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, so Cosmic Frog just seems like a weird <laughs> skirmish yeah. game. No, I looked at it, and actually, I don't know if it's skirmish. I think it's like building some kind of... Actually, it looks really cool, because I really like those type of games where you're building a central board shared with... Um, I don't think you're fighting. I think you're trying to like either maybe oh, encircle areas. I thought there was some areas. sort of combat. Oh, maybe there is combat. I don't know. No, dice rolling mechanisms. Hor sounds horrible. <laughs> uh, pick up and deliver set collection. And I think you're like building a board and maybe I don't think it's aggressive because it actually looks really interesting. Um, and literally it's like frogs on a board. It's uh, yeah. very psychedelic Cosmic frogs. looking frogs on a board. So, yep. Yeah, maybe I thought this was kind of uh, a hex game with... Um I thought it was going to be some sort of majorities with some combat. and Oh, know. it does have. It's a game of collection combat and theft on a planetary scale. Yeah. Maybe my uh, maybe my interest is decreasing. I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it, it sounded... I, I did hear a, a review of this game that was not super favorable a while ago where they're just yep. like... It was just kind of... If I remember correctly, kind of like take that E and maybe this is innovative because it's got giant cosmic frog minis. I don't know. Sounds bad, yeah. <laughs> no, actually, it's one of basically two games that I haven't heard of in the innovative category. The other one yeah. is super weird as well. Yeah, and then you've got Dune Imperium and Lost Runes of yep. Arnak, uh, both, I think, really good games. Forgotten Waters, I haven't played yet, but I'm interested in doing that. Yep. Um, all I it know was... about it is. Oh, go ahead. 
it was on sale recently i was gonna say i uh, it looked really interesting yeah I, I also am really interested in playing it it is a com commitment campaign game so that's why i think uh i'm, I'm, I'm not rushing out to buy it quite yet but yeah uh, we have to work through our other campaigns first <laughs> yep where'd you hear about it and what's your kind of take on it i think i actually heard about it because um i've if this is the if this is the game that has like an app along with it that has some sort of narration, I thought somebody from the Dice Tower was involved in doing voice huh. acting for this game. Um, but anyway, I I knew that it was a story driven game with a pirate theme, and um, I don't know really much at all about the mechanisms, but that just that just sounded interesting to me. Um, I know it's kind of silly, so it's not like serious pirate, um, but I think it's the the bgg explanation says that it's designed to encourage you to explore and laugh yep. Yep. as you interact with the world around it so if it's like a fun if it just made me think of the experience we had when we did clank um legacy which is it's just fun and whimsical and it's just a fun game to play um this just sounded like it might fit into a similar category so i'm interested in playing it yeah uh basically that the theme is ideal for what I kind of like. Um, I don't know if the mechanics are ideal because it's very RPG-like. You have like stats and dice and sheets, character sheets or whatever, uh, which is not super amazing. But uh, the gameplay sounds really interesting. You're sailing around islands and every island is unique. You turn to a page and everyone just kind of goes exploring on the island and you might find really anything. Um, and you just kind of... I think you tell people what's happening to you or you maybe you read what's happening to you together. Uh, but it just sounds really fun. And it's co-op and, yeah, it heavy on exploration and hopefully cool stories. Yeah, so it sounds cool. Um, Micro Macro is also here as a nomination. Yep, for um, sure, my that city, should be on there. Yeah, Micro Macro should be there for Innovative. We'll see if it's a game. Uh, yep. My City is nominated. Spoiler alert, we're playing through that currently so we'll be back in a future episode to talk more about that but thus far impressions are good um pendulum is there i don't i don't know i haven't played this one but i'm also really not interested in playing this one i think it's definitely innovative but i don't know how well it works in practice kind of like the idea of innovation is there i need to also play it i i'm really curious i think we're both this is the most kind of like i'm really curious about it but don't want to buy it type game so yeah actually strong candidate for, for saltcon i think saltcon probably has it yeah they'll probably have it. i would definitely play it but of you know it, it so for anybody who might not know pendulum is a stonemeyer game uh, i think last year's stonemeyer game so it's 2020 um it's a uh simultaneous worker placement action with a bunch of sand dials so certain areas of the board will use less of your time but get you less you know lesser benefits and the areas that take more time of your of your worker being there gets you greater benefits um it yeah i don't know i don't know i just i heard really 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 mixed things about it and i don't know if i would like sort of a chaotic worker placement game <laughs> um huh. and it was kind of funny the the selling phrase that was i think crafted in the engines of stonemeyer games um was this is a simultaneous 
play game that doesn't feel chaotic. But it's like, <laughs> well, it's Are simultaneous. Sure? It's simultaneous <laughs> play. <laughs> yep. So like, there's nothing different about this game that that would take away the fact that you're all like playing at the same time. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'd, I'd play it. But this is one that I'm I have kind of decided to pass on in terms of buying it. Yep. Um, Search for Planet X. You actually have that one, I think, right? This is like uh, total you, deduction yeah. game. Yeah, we just basically need to play it, which is it's pretty funny actually. I played just one game against the computer solo. Um, I think it's really cool, uh, but also obviously not as cool as something like Alchemist. I think Alchemist is still like the uh, <laughs> Cadillac of those type of games, I guess. Uh, what I mean is kind of deduction games where you're trying to cross like different types of information cross out the negative type of information and make some kind of a conclusion or good guess about some other type of information in this case you're looking for planet x but before you're looking for planet x you're looking for a bunch of like asteroids and planets and whatever where they're located around the solar system uh pretty like they're definitely innovative definitely really cool very strong app presence uh, because the the app kind of, as an alchemist, it basically hides the game and it gives you clues about where things are, which otherwise would have to be done by a person who is not playing the game, uh, which is alchemist has that option. But I think you should basically never take that option because like, what fun is that? I don't know how fun that would be. Probably horrible. Uh, definitely always use the app. And it's, it's for the exact same purpose. Uh, the app implementation is actually really good. Um, and yeah, you can play against the computer solo, which is what I did. I got absolutely wrecked. I also played on like a high difficulty because I thought I was cool, but I'm definitely but not as cool as I thought. <laughs> You're not cool. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, this difficulty is actually really high, confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the game is really cool and it has a lot of potential. And uh, I'm curious how it's going to play with multiple people. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, that's on my list to play. So I'd definitely play it with you. Um, and the, the final nomination in the innovative category is Super Skill Pinball 4K, which is designed by Jeff Engelstein. So it's like a follow-up to The Expanse, right? No, it's not. It's uh, Jeff Engel Engelstein? Um, yeah, yeah, I was just looking at pictures. and yeah, Anyway, go it's, ahead. Yep. It seems like it's basically trying to simulate a pinball game with roll-and-write mechanisms. Yep. Um, so... It sounds like it would be fun to play. I don't know if it would be fun to buy. Um, but yeah, this is actually one where I'm curious to, to try it. I, but it seems like that type of game, it's going to be really hard to find it unless SaltCon Library has it or something. Hard to find, I don't know. But, uh, maybe well, I mean Brent... like someone who actually has it. Oh, I was going to say if anyone's a strong candidate for buying this game, it's Brandon because he, well, he used to like rolling rights. I don't know. I mean, he sounded like he actually got burnt out on them in general. I haven't seen him <laughs> yeah. purchase a rolling right for quite a while. But I'm actually curious where the innovation is here because, yeah, it looks like a really cool rolling right. But, uh, like, where is the pinball? I don't know. I need to take a look at it because it's um, um, a little disc. 
No, no, no. I mean, like, uh, how do you simulate the pinball with rolling dice? I hope it's not just roll dice and cross stuff off, because that sounds kind of bad. It looks like there's some kind of a path board above the board, which is maybe the pinball part is like, you know, simulating the movement of the ball around so the here, table. Here's or what whatever. BGG says. It says you'll roll two dice. Yep. Um, then you're going to select one of those two. Then you're going to move your pinball to a bumper or spinner or target one level below with a matching number. Oh, so the ball's kind of like falling down or something yeah. maybe on yeah. the table. Okay, maybe I get that. I don't know. To me, like it just kind of looks like another roll and write, but that's just me not being a huge fan of roll and writes maybe. Um, I don't know. I kind of want to see where the innovation is because this is supposedly an innovative roll and write, so it shouldn't be just standard is my curiosity, but maybe, yeah, maybe I'll look into it just out of curiosity. Yeah, it's it's kind of a hard theme to design around right because the pinball is supposed to be super unpredictable yep um and it's supposed to feel energetic and exciting um so i wonder if this game captures that pretty well or not yep i wonder if it has like a tilt sensor or something <laughs> or, i'm just kidding <laughs> it has a sensor tilt, that goes tilt, wee tilt wee if mechanic. you use weighted dice or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. anyway, so that's the innovative category for uh, for the Golden Geek Awards this year. I, I think we'll find out in a couple months. Yep. My general uh, input is obviously we are not going to go. I mean, we I can't talk about every category, but uh, you'll find pretty much the hotness from what I'm looking at here yep. on the lists yep. in every category. I've heard of most games. I'm actually kind of slightly curious about some games that I have not heard of. I'm probably going to like click through them and read them. But yeah, if you go on BGG a lot, you'll probably have seen these games on the left side of the sidebar there throughout the year yep it's no surprise uh as to any of these games being here i think except for some of the little small ones uh, uh like space frog or whatever that was yeah. that looks interesting cosmic actually frog, just sorry, uh, looked through the heavy game of the year actually looks like yeah i mean viscounts yeah. west kingdom Tekenu, praga kaput regni on mars kanban ev hallertau Yep, yep. Bloomhaven, Bonfire. Yep, it's all the all the hotness games are going to be there. Do they not think Barrage was Barrage technically 2019? I think it was 19, yeah. right? Oh, yes. yeah, that's why it's not on here. I was like, where is it? Again, <laughs> Field Desires is, is one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, it's not heavy. Did they put it in medium and then it's not in medium? And I was like, it's got to be nowhere then. Cause, <laughs> oh, this is interesting. Yeah. They put, I thought Calico might have been a light game, but I guess it's medium. Yeah, it is pretty kind of AP-inducing, but it's more t trending towards light. Yeah, obviously kind of like oh, classifications. They, they put Project L in light, which I would have categorized as a medium-ish yep. game. Yeah, kind of different opinions. I don't know how yeah. they decide, but whatever. Yeah, they probably, again, this is probably just decided by the masses as like people to kind of decide how heavy a game is by yep. rating yeah. it. Speaking of which, I think if you want like a really surefire, well, generally liked game, I think these awards are maybe the best kind of gauge of what is popular around the community of people playing board games. So pretty, pretty I, I'm guessing they're going to be pretty solid like wins of good games in general. Yeah, 
That's interesting. Uh, I was just looking. I was curious at how many times certain games appeared, and I'm searching Imperium, and it looks like Dune Imperium is in here. Oh, actually, well, it's the one. Anyway, I was, I didn't just, realize I was just curious how many I, times. I didn't realize it could be a repeatable uh, game, but yeah, it's yeah. in multiple categories. Yep, I think right. it's in. I think it's in here like four or five times. Yep, I think four times. <laughs> Solo thematic, heavy or medium or whatever, uh, innovative card. Card. I don't know. Is it the card game really? Whatever. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, it has yep. it has a card game component. <laughs> so. Yeah, like it does everyone does every game which has cards. Is every game which has cards a card game? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It was kind of like our discussion <laughs> on our previous episode where you, you kind of try to change the definition of your list so that you're the same 10 games yep. don't make this way. Yeah, the list. exactly. Seems like uh, the same yep. game finds its way into all the different categories. Yep. So anyway, so that's a discussion on uh, on tabletop awards. All right, so let's head on into some games on our horizon real quick. Anything on your horizon, Haristo? Uh, yeah. I what I saw on the news on Board Game Arena that they recently implemented conspiracy. Um, I'm curious about it because it's basically Abyss the card game, which is a little bit funny because Abyss is already the card game. So I guess it's kind of a simpler Abyss, really. Um, I actually watched an overview. I kind of know how the game plays generally. Maybe I need to read the rulebook for some specifics. But it looks like a really cool kind of uh, simpler drafting game similar to Abyss where you're trying to collect kind of um, some cards, lords or whatever of the deep with the same really cool art that it has. Uh, but kind of in a simpler way. I think it's going to be um, more straightforward. Uh, just kind of card drafting with the same kind of push your luck mechanic where you might reveal more things to set the other person up. So actually kind of similar vi vibes with Q-Birds. Um, um, the mechanics of Abyss, uh, I can't remember exactly, but uh, what's interesting about the game is it's a drafting game. You're trying to kind of complete sets, and this game has a spatial element as well where you're trying to arrange a group of, like, lords or whatever of the underwater lords. Actually, the art is really cool, which is a big selling point of the game. But uh, it, has a ga it has a mechanic where you can actually choose how many things to reveal. So you can choose to reveal like one, two, or three cards, I think. So you get a better choice if you reveal more cards. However, the cards you don't choose go into these piles in the middle, which get stacked by color. So the other person can pick a pile instead of pulling from the top of the deck. So it's kind of an interesting push and pull between like, do I take cards just because there are a lot of cards? because that's cool or do i look for something specific and risk setting someone else up that's after me uh very similar vibes of abyss but i'm just really curious how that's gonna uh play that conspiracy so just really kind of yeah interested about it sounds really cool um the other thing uh that i want to talk about is I made fun of it last time actually because the weird name but my father's work um best game ever uh yeah uh it's a joke 
the name of it, but (laughs) I looked into it and I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I ended up backing it. Nice. (laughs) I actually, I'm glad you did that because I think this is, um, you and we we were talking about it in our group and one, somebody said exactly what I was thinking is that I, when I read about this on Kickstarter, I thought, oh, this is going to be abomination, but done correctly. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's my feeling of the game is like it has got this like creepy atmosphere of your, but it's called My Father's Work because it goes through several generations of, uh, I guess, weird outcasts that live in an evil castle above a village or something. I don't know what you're, what, what you are, but uh, you're working on weird experiments and you're <laughs> your, digging, your father's work. <laughs> yeah, you're digging up bodies or whatever. You're collecting resources and like uh, chemicals for whatever like plants anyway uh to do experiments and you are trying to progressively do more complicated experiments and continue your father's work through generations so i think you can like pass one experiment towards the future generation which is like basically every round i think is a new generation uh but anyway the game sounds kind of weird but also it has this uh event elements where you your board changes by flipping to different pages in a book um but it is not legacy which was the concern of someone who um didn't want to get it because they thought there it was going to be a legacy or a campaign i think every game is standalone um so you can just play it and i think the decisions can change of the game and the game can play out differently based on what you decide when an event reveals uh basically in in your play um and i watched kind of an interview with the designer which is kind of also what sold me on the game it looks very kind of well thought through uh the events sounded very well thought through i hope that's actually the case otherwise i'll never trust that guy anymore (laughs) (laughs) but uh the biggest thing with uh the what is it called abomination was that the events were just like first of all i didn't really care about the writing like reading a huge paragraph of whatever um hopefully the writing is more accessible in this game and just more fun to read and just kind of while you're playing i mean they should the book, hire the guy that wrote etherfields yeah stuff. etherfields no don't even mention it uh but also the events felt random and just bs like it might help whoever's doing the event or it might hurt them randomly and that's just like really bad design so i think actually he was talking about abomination when he was saying like oh i played something where the other games where events just kind of happen to you or something and there they just felt like cheap i really wanted to think through my events and make them kind of either happen to i I don't know what he said exactly but i was like wow that actually is pretty much spot on with what i thought about uh abomination so i think in between the lines he didn't mention abomination by name but he was probably talking about it um and yeah just the whole package i was like wow that's just really cool and i think this game from what i remember is not going to retail so the kickstarter is like the only way to get it uh and it has some really way overproduced components it has a glass bottles with cork corks in them like little glass bottles as a resource in the game 
um that's why they say they were saying like we didn't want to push this to retail and degrade the components because the components were just so ridiculously cool um and actually i think what you're buying also is a system because they have three kind of scenarios and which you can play again like in a sitting they're, they're not like really i think they probably do have a story arc but like it's fine to just play scenario two in a sitting and be done with it. Like you don't have to play a campaign. You don't have to be with the same group. Uh, but I think in the future, the logical expansion to this system will be just more scenarios, I think, uh, because you can basically plug them in the same kind of boards and uh, just get a completely different experience with the same components. So I'm guessing uh, more scenarios are coming in the future, but it comes with three different scenarios, which are obviously replayable because you make decisions every time an event appears. So every play every playthrough might flip to a different page. The game might develop a different way. I really hope it's as cool as it sounds. Otherwise, like I say, I'll never trust that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but serious no, trust I issues. Yeah, I made fun of the silly name, but it turned out to be actually a really cool game. So my father's work. Well, I'm glad to hear that you backed that one because I did not, yep. but I do want to play it because I think it sounds cool. Yep. I don't know. I'm really surprised the waiting on uh, the, the wait waiting wait on board game arena says 358, which is really really uh, high for 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 what I saw. It sounded it looked very medium kind of game to me, but I'm just I'm I have kind of really high hopes, so it hopefully doesn't let me down. Yeah, sounds cool. All right, I've uh, got just two games on my horizon. I'm looking forward to trying. Uh, some time and the first one is called mandala stones this is by philip glowatz uh you probably would know how to pronounce that name the cz is ch usually so glowatz. Uh, glo glowatz and the w is a v sound glowatz, glowatz. i don't know glowatz. whatever uh, it's probably uh, yeah. polish yeah, so it's it's board and dice, so that does sound right. Um, so this is just a kind of a simple abstract game um, where you're either picking up these colorful mandala stones or you're scoring them. So you're you have like I think each player has this sort of tall black cylinder that you're moving around around on a shared board. I think it's called an artist. Actually, I read the rule spoilers. Oh, yeah. So it's an artist that you're moving around, and depending on where you land and where other people are, you'll be able to pick up certain stones and then put them on your own board. Or So, I mean, you're just going to be picking up stones, and then on your turn, you can either do that or you can score stones by removing, I think, the same colors from the tops of, of piles on your board or just removing all the tops or something like that. Yeah, um, that's it. Yep, so you're just collecting stones and scoring points. I think it has it, it looks pretty, right? So I think it's a decent production. Board and Dice usually does pretty well with that. I, I'm expecting it to be kind of light and, you know, maybe not amazing, but it does seem like it could be a pretty neat um, filler game. So I'm, I'm excited to, to try it, and I think somebody in our group bought it. So yep. maybe. Uh, Justine bought it, actually. That's why I read the rules. We were going to play it, and then someone came, and we had five people. So, yep, <laughs> it didn't yep. happen. Um, I actually was really attracted to the look of the game. I really like kind of mandalas and really uh, cool 
looking games but after reading the rules it looks it sounds kind of abstract i think it's gonna be fine but i was expecting something like amazingly awesome i'm still interested in the game but yeah we'll see we'll see how it is maybe it's gonna be more impressive than the rules sounded yeah it's um it's one that i've had on my list i'm all i I always kind of default towards uh board and dice games are going to be ones that i'm interested in buying um but for this one in particular i just kind of want to try it first and see how i like it but i I think it'll be a decent game yep it's gonna be fun inoffensive fun at least yep yep uh so the other game that is on my list uh or on my horizon is called uh oops i'm looking at the wrong page it's the witcher old world um which just launched on um kickstarter uh, today, I believe, uh, May 25th. This is published by Lucas Wozniak. It's uh, actually published by Go On Board in collaboration with CD Projekt Red, which is the developer that made the video game The Witcher, um, as well as other titles. Um, so the reason this one is on my horizon is because I have played um the 2014 Witcher adventure game, which was designed by Ignacy Trevicek, which actually really sucked. Um, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> um, and I, I, so my brother just is the biggest Witcher fan in the world. So basically if you could think of any sort of Witcher memorabilia or item that you could have, he has it, um, including full pledge level of this game. <laughs> So um, the the Witcher Old World game is actually, I think, it's going to be a better implementation of what um, Ignacy's terrible game was supposed to be, um, which is this sort of adventuring uh, game. It, it's set... Uh, are you familiar with the world or the IP at all? I was going to talk about it. I actually did start to play the original Witcher way back in the day, and I never really played it fully, and I kind of, I don't know. I think, in theory, the world sounds really cool, but for some reason, it just didn't pull me in at the time. Maybe I should give it another try uh, in general. Also, the original Witcher was, like, not 3D and stuff, and it was a little bit weird, like, mechanically. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I like the idea of the world and i've seen so much about it that i almost kind of like know what it is <laughs> just by <Yeah. laughs> by just seeing it all over plastered all over kind of everywhere i don't know just yeah. in general i mean it was recently got netflix show so it's become yeah. even more popular than it was yeah um, so i i like the world i like the idea but I haven't actually played any games or even read the books or even watched the show. So I know what it is, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, basically, at this point. Yeah, so basically this, um, this game takes place before the Geralt of Rivia days. So you're not actually playing Geralt, who's the, like the main guy with yep, 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 long yep. hair that everybody knows. Um, what you're doing in this game is you're just, um, it's a deck builder. Um, where you're kind of roaming around the continent, um, kind of just doing whatever you want. Um, yep, to, sandbox to, type game, yep, probably. Yep, yep, just to get trophies, and the first person to get um, a certain number of trophies just wins the game. And you can win the trophies by killing monsters. You can brawl other witchers in taverns, so you can just like brawl each other. Um, 
you can there's actually you've got player boards to train your attributes so you're basically there's some sort of player progression thing um player abilities maybe um and you can actually even play dice poker in yep. the game no actually so. it's it's kind of funny but it reminds me of western legends a lot uh, not deck building but uh, you can also play poker in western legends and again sandbox game you can do whatever you want so actually i really enjoy those kinds of games uh, we haven't it's not been huge with our group the sandbox style games but i i really like them uh, i wish we could play them more they also take a little bit of like setup and take a while in general that's probably why they're not so popular yeah, I mean the playtime on this one is ninety to one hundred fifty minutes, so it is going to yep. be a bit of a longer game. I'm, I'm hoping that because this one is is paired up with CD Projekt Red in development, that it's actually going to be a pretty decent and well yep. thought through game. Um, so I'm actually really looking forward to this one, um, and the the art and theme and everything all just looks really amazing, and it it, it looks like it's going to be gonna be a cool game i like deck builders and i i like kind of sandboxy type environments with this this type of game so i'm, I'm excited to see where this one goes um yeah that's, the go designer's a little bit weird as far as like history i always look at kind of what games they've designed and it's very uh all over the place actually so hopefully it's it's good yeah hopefully it's good but yeah i like uh sandbox games and i'm interested for sure yeah, I don't know that I've played any of his games. I've seen like Valhalla and Titans no, around. I don't um, think I've even heard about them actually, but I'm just looking at kind of the ratings and how many some Czech only games it looks like. So yeah. or Polish, I guess Polish only. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I mean, you, you say Polish too. Yeah, actually, some of these elements uh, of this game reminded me of components of games like Lords of Hellas. Um, yeah, you, you know, going around fighting these monsters, and but there's also other things you can do. So um, there's going to be some of that design DNA, just kind of of that culture in there, I think. But I watched the Kickstarter video, and the someone from CD Projekt Red was on, and and I kind of trust their. I mean, they make good video games, so hopefully that translates well into making sure that this is also a good board game. Yeah. yeah. So I I trust that uh, because there's collaboration, pretty um, intertwined collaboration there. I'm hoping that that translates into a good game. So yeah, we'll see uh, see how this one how this one turns out. Huh, Probably next year when it ships. <laughs> uh yeah i'm looking at the reviews and it's kind of funny like people are like 10 i played uh 10 i want this uh one because of kickstarter ratings the usual like <laughs> yeah i rate i rate this 10 because the kickstarter opens and i rate it one to offset the tens <laughs> it's the, the usual drama on board game geek i guess yep yep any any game that is remotely popular is gonna have a little bit of ratings trollage at the beginning yeah yeah uh no i'm, I'm kind of curious how this develops like i say sandbox games always interested just it doesn't matter what it is really yep anyway so that's uh games on the horizon cool well, I think that's it. Uh, the show actually has been quite long, but we talked about a lot of awards, and um, we'll see you in a couple of weeks.
Carnes and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com, or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme, and thank all of you for listening, and we will return in a couple of weeks. 